0: Got my first real six string. Bought it out the five and done. Played it till my fingers played.
1: and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill episode number 92, where we go back to the, past. Back back to to the to past and read a comic book from the yesteryear of publishing. You can find us every Sunday on chrisandreggie.podbean.com or pick us up from iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and from the Absorbascon. Cool.
2: <laughs>
1: That's <laughs> the sound I think the god makes. By the way, <laughs> I
2: think you're, I think you're onto something there. Now we've been threatening it for about a, a little over a month now, but this is our contribution to the JL May yeah. podcast crossover event. That's right. And uh, we're gonna, we're gonna urge you to uh, check out the other ones involved, and we will. Uh, We will name them several times throughout this episode. Uh, The issue we're going to discuss is the final issue of the series. This is the Silver Age 80-page giant number one. It comes to us with a July 2000 cover date and a cover by Alan Davis and Lee Lohrich. It's got five stories, and we'll get to every last one of them. They're all colored by Glenn Whitmore and Carla Feeney, lettered by Kurt Hathaway. Edited by Dean Raspla, and has a cover price of five hundred and ninety-five pennies.
1: That's right, single yes. centi- cents. That's right. <laughs> so, so I wonder if anyone tried to pay in pennies. I bet someone did. I would hope so. So uh, to set the stage, but you know we're not going to give away everything. Uh, you know we want you to listen to this other podcast to get the full story. But a little rundown on what came before this issue uh, began in Silver Age number one. By Mark Wade and Terry Dodson uh, Requiring their power set To retrieve some artifacts The alien villain Agamemno Makes a deal with Lex Luthor To swap the minds of the Justice League And the Injustice League And we'll tell you who they are Lex Luthor swaps bodies with Superman Kronos swaps bodies with Adam Black Manta swaps bodies with Aquaman
2: Catwoman swaps bodies with the Black Canary Dr. Light swaps bodies with the Martian Manhunter Mr. Element swaps bodies with the Flash.
1: Penguin swaps bodies with Batman. Felix Faust swaps bodies with Green Arrow. And Sinestro swaps bodies with Green Lantern. Some of those are kind of obvious, but that's what A it is. Yeah. Uh, so the villains will get what's left of Earth in the deal after Ag- Agamemno's done with it. Uh, the JLA sets out to discredit those villains whose bodies that they inhabit. Uh, Snapper Car is also there. How about that? Think that. Uh, so for a deeper look at this issue Check out Justice's first Dawn episode Released on May 1st 2008
2: Mm, 2018
1: uh, 2018 sorry
2: <laughs> Now the, uh, We also have Silver Age Justice League of America number one By Mark Miller and Scott Collins Catwoman who's In the Black Canary guys Sinestro in the Green Lantern guys Dr. Light Martian Manhunter guys And Mr. Element in the Flash guys Travel to Oa where taking the lanterns By surprise are able to destroy Their power rings and steal The central battery
1: Meanwhile, Black Manta, who is looking like Aquaman, Faust in his guys' his green arrow, Kronos, who looks like Adam, and Luther, who's inhabiting the body of Superman, travel to an alien planet where they discover a crashed ship that once belonged to Brainiac. Inside, they retrieve one of the items that Agamemno wants, the jewel Kryptonite.
2: Now for a deeper look at this issue, check out the Coffee and Comics podcast, episode number 22, released May 7th, 2018.
1: Next up was Silver Age, Challengers of the Unknown number 1 by Carl Kiesel and Drew Johnson. Here the challengers get wind at Kronos, who again is an Adam's body. He's fussing around at Ivy University, trying to change the recent past by accessing a time pool. In the conflict, Kronos shrinks the challengers, but then monsters from the future come out through the time pool and take down Kronos. And for a deeper look at this issue, check out Relatively Geeky Presents... Podcast uh, episode number 12, released May 3rd, 2018.
2: Silver Age The Teen Titans, number one, by Marv Wolfman and Pat Oliff. Now, the original Teen Titans visit a town where the populace is being turned into zombies by the villainous Sheriff Lee. Flash, in the guise of Mr. Element, Batman as the Penguin, and Aquaman as Black Manta are there, too, uh, to make uh, more trouble for the Titans. Uh, There's a lot of kerfuffle. Uh, The real Batman and Aquaman show up as Penguin and Black Manta. And uh, wouldn't you know it, the Titans think that they're the bad guys because they look like the bad guys. Right, yep. Luckily, everything works out reasonably well in the end For a a deeper look at this issue, check out Supermates, episode number 81, released May 10th, 2018
1: And Silver Age, dial H for Hero, number 1 by Mark Wade and Barry Kitson While on a school trip, Dr. Light, in the guise of Martian Manhunter, creates a construct to make the JLA seem evil before Robbie Reed and his class Robbie uses the H dial, revealing his identity and to get more of a look into this issue Which looms large in this, this Final one, check mm-hmm. out Idle Head of Diablo Diablo, 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 Diablo. Sure. episode number 32 hmm. Released May 14th, 2018
2: Silver Age Flash Number 1 by Brian Augustine Ty, Ty Templeton and Norm Brayfogle The Flash as Mr. Element Uses Mr. Element's powers to create the illusion That the Flash had become a thief uh, Kid Flash and the elongated man thwart his plan. For a deeper look at this one, check out Longbox Crusade, episode 15, released May 16th, 2018.
1: A Silver Age Doom Patrol number one, Tom Payer, Pyre, Payer, and Bacan. Uh, <laughs> Superman, in the guise of Lex Luthor, once again, convinces the Doom Patrol that he's a good guy. Meanwhile, Gargwax and General Amortis steal some of Luthor's anti-JLA weapons so they can take out the Injustice League... Who again are looking like the JLA uh, uh, And the day will be uh, Whoops And be the only bad guys around Sorry So these weapons work well in the Doom Patrol too But Superman as Luther thwarts Immortus and Gargoyles, And the day is saved And for a deeper look at this issue Guess what, you can check out Waiting for Doom Episode number 123 Titled Do You Know It's JL May 2018 Released May 20th, 2018
2: Hmm. Silver Age Brave and the Bold number one By Bob Haney and Kevin Maguire Will Magnus and the Metal Men are recruited By the US military to aid Batman Who's actually the Penguin Against Felix Faust who's actually Green Arrow And Catwoman who's actually Black Canary Felix Faust uses magic To briefly turn the Metal Men human but they turn robotic again. Uh, in the end, the Penguin has assumed his own body inexplicably. Uh, for a deeper look at this one, check out Comic Reflections, JL May 2018 special, which was released May 23rd, 2018.
1: In Silver Age Green Lantern number 1 by Kurt Busiek and Brent Anderson, the Injustice League heads to Thanagar to get one of Agamemnon's items. Once there, Hal Jordan, who's in the body of Sinestro, defeats Agamemno and the rest of the Injustice League. But it turns out that Hal has gone crazy because the Silver Age ring still had that yellow impurity. And so he steps into the Green Lantern on Oa and reverts everyone back to their original forms. For a deeper look, check out Lantern Cast, episode number 322, released May 22nd, 2018.
2: Hal's always going into that battery. He He
1: loves it in there. It's, It's cozy, I think. (laughs)
2: <laughs> we had Silver Age Showcase presents number one by Jeff Johns and Dick Giordano uh, Deadman discovers the villain's plan and gathers Adam Strange, Gardner Gale, the Shining Knight, Batgirl, Mento, Metamorpho, and Major Blackhawk to help him They're too late to stop Agamemno Agamem- from uh, assembling his three items But Luther replaced the jewel kryptonite with a diamond, so it explodes.
1: Yeah, sure, that would happen. Uh, Mm -hmm. This releases a bunch of power anyway, and the Injustice League sucks it up and uses it to head back to Earth. Ready for that final showdown. And for a deeper look at this, check out Batgirl to Oracle podcast episode number 157, released May 8th, 2018. And then we kind of follow up with a straggler, which... Sort of doesn't fit into the entire story Silver Age, Secret Files and Origins Which is a much more complicated Sort of epilogue, (laughs) extra book To this whole thing, but if you want a deeper Look at that, check out the Fire and Water Podcast, episode number 211, released May 20th 2018
2: And now, Silver Age 80 page giant number one The cover features the familiar 80-page giant burst in black and orange, right above the Silver Age logo. The DC Comics logo is one that they use here is one that never actually existed, really. It's a kind of a mashup between the one that they used in the early 40s and the one that they used in the late 40s. And they use blue stars here instead of bullet points.
1: Yeah, just slightly different. At a glance, they look Hmm. almost the exact same.
2: Yes, yeah. you, you, it's, I, and it's, it's funny because they might have been meaning to just do the same one And just left the, the Superman word off the top of it Possibly, or yeah Now on the cover are
1: The caption reads, eight new superheroes Who are they? What are they? And how will they ever succeed where the JLA failed?
2: And indeed, eight unfamiliar characters are muscling their way onto the scene. In doing so, they're shoving both Superman and Batman aside, and they both look kind of annoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, this is an Alan Davis cover, and it looks like a really nice Alan it Davis does, cover. It
1: does. Good job. I love the way he draws Batman. It's like one of, To me, that's one of the quintessential Batman certainly looks. You know what he does it. Uh, So we'll meet this colorful band of characters In a little while, but we'll explain for now That the one known as Doc Fishin Says, one side Superman And the one known as Marionette says Back off Batman, you can't save the Earth But we
2: can The cover further advertises Featuring S.O.S. to Nowhere A 51 page extravaganza Starring 37 superstars And 9 vile villains Now the opening page Of the issue is Actually, a table of contents. Uh, there's some enticing marketing copy for each story, uh, but why bother with that when we can just, uh, you know, jump right into the real meat of the book? That will, of course, come after our normal creator bios.
1: That's right. So SOS to Nowhere is written by Mark Wade, Born March 21, 1962 in Hueytown, Alabama. In 1966, Mark's dad bought home Batman number 180. Cover date was May. Story is Death Knocks Three Times. This was the first issue out after the de- debut of Bill Dozier's Batman television show that starred Adam West. Now, Mark was captivated by this comic and began collecting comics right away When the family moved to Birmingham, he would go with his father to Radio Newsstand Which may have just been a newsstand with a sign that read radio on the outside of it uh, The newsstand, had, I think he just called it Radio Newsstand uh, This newsstand had a wall of comics and this became Mark's four-color library He never stopped collecting throughout his life, not when he got older Not due to girls, nothing, that's a kind of a semi-quote from him Uh, Before becoming a teenager, Mark used to read every comic book twice consecutively Then copy its pertinent information and a description of the story onto a 3x5 index card and file it away
2: A man after our own hearts eh? (laughs) Now his teenage life was tumultuous and he fought frequently with his parents Uh, He often spent long stretches of time crashing at his friends' houses In uh, 1979, we'll jump ahead where Mark watched Superman the movie He found this a life-changing experience and sat through the movie twice in a row and left with a strong belief in heroism. Mark says, Seeing Superman the movie changed my life in a fundamental and profound way and gave me a North Star that I've followed ever since. Now, Mark dreamed of working in comics but didn't think that he wrote or drew well enough to qualify. He'd attend the Virginia Commonwealth Wealth University in Richmond, uh, which is noted for its journalism program, he would stop pursuing journalism when, quote, it dawned on me in about the first week and a half that I'd never, ever have what it takes to stand in front of a grieving widow and stick a microphone into her face. Huh. Now, uh, he changed his major a few times, eventually settling on English with a minor in physics. But he didn't actually graduate He's he's shy of three credits As of uh, 2009 And the credits he earned probably uh, Might have expired by But
1: the life credits could have accrued Beyond that, we don't know (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, after college You found work for Amazing Heroes Magazine and Comics Buyer's Guide In 1984, DC editor Sal Amendola did a cross-country Talent search, and Mark was living in Dallas At this time And he spoke with Amendola, who was looking for story pitches. Mark asked him which character hadn't been pitched yet. So Sal replied, you know, of all the pitches I've gotten so far, no one's pitched a Superman story. Everyone wants to write Batman. No one's tried for Superman. And the editor, Julie Schwartz, is actively looking for eight-page stories. Since Mark already knew Julie through Amazing Heroes, uh, and he was about to be in New York for the first time, he was able to set up an in-person meeting with Julie. Mark said, I offered him an eight-pager in which Superman goes to his Arctic Fortress, only to find that it's been stripped bare. Someone has burgled the joint, but who and why? Schwartz picked up the story, and Wade's first professional comics work uh, was featured in Action Comics number 572, October 1985 cover date, titled Puzzle of the Purloined Fortress.
2: The following year, Wade pitched, quote, thousands of stories. Schwartz bought one and was heavily edited by he and his assistant, E. Nelson Bridwell. Uh, We don't know which story this was. Um, And thus, his uh, freelance comic book writing career was uh, put on hold. In 1986, Mark, Mark would move to Los Angeles to work for Fantagraphics as an editor. Mark's first task on his first day was to... Fire the fellow he was replacing, who had no idea that it was coming. That is brutal. Uh, that's yeah, that's not a fun, uh, fun yeah. task to us uh, to kick off the gig. Um, now, by spring of 1987, Mark was packaging and editing his own magazine called Comics Week. Mark says an industry. Mark describes it as an industry news tabloid that was printed at roughly the size of a military parachute, but with more hot air. Now, Comics Week would last five issues. DC Comics publisher Jeanette Kahn Noticed Comics Week and thought he might Be a good fit for a brand new imprint Called Piranha Press Now that's an imprint that you can learn all about By listening to episode 15 Of Weird Comics History in our archives We covered that And it's uh, and its successor uh,
1: Paradox Paradox Press. Yep.
2: Now, that would fall through. However, he was hired on as an associate editor. He was uh, 25 years old at the time by uh, Dick Giordano. He moved from L.A. to New York for this and uh, found this to be his dream job. His first two days consisted of erasing pencil lines on Green Arrow.
1: Oh, live the dream. Dare to dream. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Now, for two years, he primarily edited Secret Origins and made a lot of contacts, but he was fired by 1990. Uh, He also edited Batman Gotham by Gaslight for... Uh, By the way, that kicked off the Elseworlds imprint, so that was something uh, to remember Mm -hmm. After this, he became a regular freelance writer for DC Comics And his first work consisted of work for DC's short-lived Impact Comics line Where he wrote the Comet and scripted dialogue for Legend of the Shield These were the MLJ Archie Comics heroes that were at least temporarily licensed by DC or something like that uh, in 1992, Wade was hired By editor Brian Augustin to write The Flash, and here is where His star took off. He wrote The Flash For eight solid years uh, In that time, he also wrote A Metamorpho Limited series in 1993 And created the Impulse character In the Flash number 92 July 1994 cover date uh, Impulse was launched to his own Series in April 1995 by Wade and artist Umberto Ramos And I had a pretty good run too, I didn't we don't have the numbers here, but I, th- I think it ran, ran.
2: about 80 issues. Yeah, yeah. not
1: bad at all. Uh, in November that same year, Wade and Howard Porter collaborated on the Underworld Unleashed Limited series, which served as the core storyline of a company-wide crossover event.
2: Yeah, and I think we'll be talking about Underworld Unleashed not too long from now. I think so, Yeah. Now, at this time, Mark Wade was also writing for Marvel, and his first major project for them was uh, as one of the writers of the Age of Apocalypse crossover. Uh, Mark would later co create the character Onslaught. Marvel editors Ralph Macchio and Mark Gruenwald hired him as Gruenwald's successor as writer on Captain America, during which Mark Wade was paired with artist Ron Garney. Wade and Garney remained on it from issue 444, that's October 1995 cover date, to 454, August 1996 cover date. Until the title was relaunched uh, with a different creative team as part of the Heroes Reborn event thing. Uh, Now, (laughs) Rob, Rob Liefeld, who would draw this reboot, offered Wade the opportunity to script Captain America over plots and artwork by his studio... Wade uh, maybe no. wisely declined Wasn't into that No, <laughs> um, no. Now that storyline ran a full year After which Wade and Garney returned to the title For the the third volume of Captain America Under the Heroes Return banner And he would write issues 1 through 23 of that series
1: But uh, back a little bit from there in 1996 Wade and, Al- and artist Alex Ross produced the graphic novel Kingdom Come It was written in reaction to the grim and gritty comics of the 1980s and 1990s, and many of the ideas introduced in Kingdom Come were later integrated into the present-day DC universe, and Wade himself wrote a follow-up to the series The Kingdom. Wade and writer Grant Morrison also collaborated on a number of projects that would successfully re-establish DC's Justice League to prominence. Wade's contributions included JLA Year year One, as well as actually writing the uh, JLA series. The two writers developed the concept of hyper time. Yes, you can blame them to explain mm-hmm. problems with continuity in the DC universe, and that brings us fairly neatly to, to 2000 when this comic yeah. came out. Because frankly, this bio could take all episode. Mark Waid has done a lot in comics, and uh, we can continues to we yes. continues to this day. So we'll we'll. Circle back around to him some other time
2: Certainly, but first we're going to hop across the table To the artist, Eduardo Barreto Luis Eduardo Barreto Ferreira Was born 1954 In Montevideo, Uruguay At age 7 he was reading a comic And decided that he would grow up To be a professional comic strip artist when he was 15 years old, his portfolio under his arm, Eduardo went to each and every newspaper in Montevideo looking for a job. Eduardo finally found a job at the newspaper El Dia. Now, the editor for this newspaper's children's magazine, which is called El Dia de los Niños, he liked Barreto's art, but he asked him to do something more Hispanic. Thus, an adaptation of the Spanish epic poem Cantar de Mio Cid, which is the lay of the Cid, was a soon-published in the magazine, scripted and drawn By Baretto when he was only 16 years old
1: Nice, wow this is Setting it off right there uh, In 1974 he created A science fiction and space opera strip Inspired by The Morning of the Magicians A book by Louis Paul Wells And Jacques, Jacques Berger He created the strip intending to sell it To a syndicate as his first love In comics was the strips and he called it El Poderoso Son, Which translated as The Mighty Hawk in Uruguay, however, his only client was the newspaper magazine he was already working for, in which he published two pages featuring the character on Sundays. A year later, Barreto sold the trip, strip to United Press International, and the syndicate distributed these strips to some 16 or 17 newspapers in Latin America. There was even talk translating it to English, but it never happened due to international paper and oil crisis in the mid-1970s. So at age 21... Beretta was publishing a strip all across Latin America Since making a full living from comics in Uruguay was impossible He traveled to Buenos Aires, Argentina To leave some samples with editorial Columba Which who published the comic anthology magazines El Tony and D'Artagnan D'Artagnan He he returned to Montevideo And supplemented his comic work for El Dia With artwork for advertising agencies
2: after getting married and moving, Eduardo returned to Buenos Aires on vacation and visited Colomba again. The publisher's chief art editor, Antonio Presa, asked him why he hadn't answered the letter in which they offered him a position working on the strip, Cabul de Bengala. Uh, now, Barreto never received the letter, as it had been sent to his former address. I
1: guess they didn't have any mail forwarding, probably, too. I don't know how that would work, so.
2: Maybe the six months expired. <laughs> Possibly, that. yeah. Uh, now, starting in 1975, Eduardo worked for about three years for the Argentinian publisher, first living in the country for a year. Uh, in the morning, he worked in the uh, Kabul art, uh, which is scripted by H.G. Oesterheld, Westerheld?
0: Sure, yeah. sure. Uh,
2: and then in the afternoon, he worked as an assistant to Ricardo Villagran, uh, or rather as a ghost artist for him. Uh, after that year, he moved back to Uruguay, uh, working there and traveling once a month to Argentina. Argentina, even. By then, he was working on several studio characters, but on his own and signing his own name. Eventually, tired of the scripts he was getting, he signed his Kabul art with aliases, such as S- Nice, 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 and uh, or copy, using the uh, ladder when he had uh, to uh, copy another artist's styles.
1: Yeah, uh, and I'm not sure what s nice is supposed to be, or it sounds like a type of rock, doesn't it? I don't know what it is. It
2: it does, yes.
1: Uh, So after three years working in Argentina, his editor advised him to try his luck in the United States. In 1979, Eduardo went to New York City, and his first U.S. work was inking for Marvel Comics. Marvel Team-Up, number 88, December 1979, cover date, featuring Spider-Man and the Invisible Girl, with script by Chris Claremont and pencils by Sal Buscema. The same afternoon he received that assignment, he also received a Hawkman assignment for World's Finest Comics, number 262, May 1980, cover date from DC Comics, and a horror story from Western Publishing. So he got work from three comics publishers in one day.
2: <laughs> not not a bad day as well. Not a bad day.
1: Yeah, the guy people people liked the cut of his jib. I think. Uh, <laughs> after a few months, after a few months, Eduardo returned to Uruguay, but he would go back to the United States in 1983. He'd lived there for about three years, working first on the Archie Comics superhero imprint Red Circle. Three or more months, three or four months later, he started work on Superman for DC and on other things for Marvel and Western as well.
2: He did most of his U.S. work for DC Comics, and the uh, Uruguay audience knew him as the Uruguayan Batman artist. Um, In addition to being the most well-known Uruguayan artist in international comics, he was also the only Uruguayan to draw a regular U.S. series continuously and not as a fill-in guest artist. First, he drew eight issues of Atari Force, cover dated October 1984 through August 1985. Then a very long run, drawing issues 13, October 1985 to 49, November 1988, of The New Teen Titans Volume 2. Mm-hmm. Now, during the 1980s, in, to, in addition to his Titans work, he drew stories, covers, and pinups featuring a, var- a wide variety of DC characters. Eduardo also worked in licensed comics published by DC, such as Star Trek.
1: In 1989, Eduardo illustrated the prestige-format graphic novel Lex Luthor, the unauthorized biography written by James D. Hudnall. In 1989 and 1990, Beretto drew the Shadow Strikes with writer Gerard Jones. Those two also collaborated on Martian Manhunter American Secrets in 1992. That was a miniseries set in the 1950s. In the 1990s, Beretto worked with Dark Horse Comics, for whom he drew Indiana Jones, Aliens, Predator, Colin Deadliest of the Species, and Star Wars, A New Hope, the Special Edition. For DC Comics, his 1990s work included Superman, Speeding Bullets, also an Elseworlds title, Justice League Quarterly, Sergeant Rock, and others. Eduardo inked the first appearance of Agent Liberty in Superman, Volume 2, Number 60, that in October 1991 cover date.
2: For techno-comics, Eduardo drew Mickey Spillane's Mike Danger. It's about a hard-boiled detective who finds himself in a futurist world, and it's based on the pulp crime novels. In uh, the 2000s, he continued to work for various publishers, such as Claypool Comics, uh, for whom he illustrated Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. For Oni Press, he drew the western story The Long Haul and the gangster graphic novel Union Station. For Marvel, he drew Marvel Knights between July 2000 and September 2001, which is scripted by Chuck Dixon.
1: He'd also do work for IDW Publishing on Cobb, Off the Leash, and Doomed. And for Moonstone Books, Captain Action, the latter two written by Bo Smith.
2: In 2005, for Dark Horse, he drew novelist Michael Chabone. How we say his name? Chabone. Chabone,
1: I thought it was. I really couldn't I tell think you. That.
2: So. We'll, we'll do that. <laughs> uh, he drew novelist Michael Chabone's first extended uh, comic book story in The Amazing Adventures of the Escapist, number seven. He'd later contribute to the series The Escapists, written by Brian K. Vaughan.
1: Barretto worked on DC's Birds of Prey in 2004 and 2006. And in 2006, he also drew for Boom Studios. Planetary Brigade in the following year Did a short story for Marvel's Civil War Frontline But we're getting ahead of ourselves And we didn't want to talk about that apparently (laughs) Because in 2000 He drew the story We're about to read right now
2: And we're going to get in there right now With the opening page It's a uh, typical of uh, Silver Age comics It reveals that the the climax of the story up front That nice spoiler (laughs) image of Uh Oh, the climactic scene. Now, in this case, it's the supervillains involved cowering while shadowed appendages of superheroes descend on their position.
1: Or is it the superheroes' body switch with the villains cowering at the coming of the villains in the guise of heroes?
2: Oh, come on, don't 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 confuse the nice people already.
1: You're right. Uh, a caption <laughs> reads, "High from space they came." armed with an unstoppable weapon and a plan for global conquest. Effortlessly, but with a thought, they obliterated Earth's mightiest heroes. Running rampant, nothing could oppose them, until a band of mystery heroes emerged seemingly from nowhere. Only they could end the tyranny of the Injustice League. Who are they? What are they? The clue is on this very page. Read on to learn the startling secret of the S.O.S. to
2: Nowhere. Now, this is another common Silver Age trope that the answer to a story's mystery could be figured out from the image or a series of panels. Uh, the one well known instance was the cover of Batman number 183, August 1966 cover date, which promised to reveal why Batman would rather lay around in a cave and watch the Batman television show. Then fight crime with Robin
1: Yeah you've probably seen this in your wacky Batman cover lists And uh, the story in question By the way was Batman's baffling turnabout By Gardner Fox and Sheldon Maldorf And the clue revealed on the cover Was that the guy was wearing Batman's old costume Before the new look You know uh, that debuted Mm -hmm. in 64 And therefore he was not the real Batman at all I'll save the other twists for those that want to go dig that comic (laughs) up So, outside of a Maryland naval base Sinestro smashes through the hull of a docked submarine Using giant tongs made from his yellow ring He's stealing the submarine's nuclear missile Drawing it right out through the hole he created
2: Just then, Superman bursts from from the water And knocks Sinestro out with a water spout Why he didn't use his fists, we, we don't know
1: Maybe he's saving his knuckles for bigger fights to come
2: It's possible. Superman
1: grabs a groggy Sinestro by his shirt before he can fall to the ground and thinks.
2: (laughs) He thinks to himself, he's dazed, but only for a second. Gotta act before the officers below decide to.
1: The officers below have decided to, Superman. One of them (laughs) says,
2: Attention!
1: We have you surrounded! Leave the skies immediately! The United States Navy is fully prepared for any threat that might be posed!
2: Any threat, apparently, except for uh, Sinestro's giant tongs. And the officer
1: continues, by Superman! What? That's right, simultaneously on the streets of Moscow, Martian Manhunter and the Flash are being arrested by some very stock mid-20th century militaristic commie types, you know, the ear flaps and the long jackets, you know the
2: deal. (laughs) Yes. Now, while in California's new solar city, uh, Green Arrow and Black Canary are likewise being detained by members of the RoboCop fan club.
1: A caption reads, and this, this caption is actually set in a large question mark, says, what's going on here? Superman, Flash and Martian Manhunter, Green Arrow and Black Canary, the entire Justice League of America, treated like black-hearted criminals by the authorities? Has the world gone topsy-turvy? To answer that question, we must turn the clock back an hour to find the JLA underground, literally
2: Yes, the JLA are hiding out in the Batcave, literally.
1: Green Arrow is heading, is reading a recent edition of the Daily Planet. The headline reads, "Rogue JLAers Threaten Earth."
2: I just uh, don't believe Perry White would let the, the you know JLAers. Yes, yeah. right. Not as the headline. Not in a
1: headline. I mean, that's just too casual. Justice League mm-hmm. of America members is more like mm-hmm. it. But uh, <laughs> Green Arrow says, "And this is why we're hiding in the Batcave. It's nuts. This paper's a rag." He gets all the news he needs from the penny saver.
2: Mm-hmm. Superman goes, first, Green Arrow, the Daily Planet is hardly a rag.
1: Uh, though their coffee in the office break room is terrible, uh, so I'm told.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Second, its reporters are eyewitnesses to the events of the last week. Everyone in the world now fears us. I never thought I'd have to say these words, but Batman's plans backfired.
1: He never thought he'd have to say those words, but boy, I bet it feels good to say them. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, Batman, speaking to the guy, is hammering away at a computer in the background while Aquaman explains things some more, you know, to the people that lived through the actual events he's explaining.
2: Yes, Aquaman goes, Still, his instincts were sound. When the Injustice League swapped bodies with us to search space for some superweapon, we couldn't very well have the world welcome them with open arms once they returned. We had no choice but to sabotage our own reputations to stir up distrust, framing ourselves for crimes against humanity.
1: Black Canary says, Which would have been a fine agenda, Aquaman, if we hadn't reverted to our true selves before the villains made their attack.
2: The Adam who is currently sitting on Black Canary's shoulder says, Canary's right, but there's no sign of them, and we're left in the crosshairs of every army and law enforcement branch on Earth victim to our own campaign.
1: Uh you're definitely talking like a victim there, bud.
2: <laughs> if we so much as show our faces in public, we could start World War III And meanwhile, the bad guys are still at large. Martian Manhunter goes, "We still d- we still don't know why we reverted Adam. Perhaps the Injustice League met some terrible fate before they could achieve their goal."
1: Flash pipes up to say, I doubted, Manhunter. Remember, we sent Green Lantern after them. And he hasn't returned either. I'm worried for him.
2: More so, I'm worried about his begonias. Who's going to water those? I mean, really. I know. (laughs) Nobody wants to do it. Now, uh, (laughs) with that that Maxi series neatly explained in one page, the team asks Batman if he's learned anything from his non-stop computer usage.
1: I don't know how the internet was in the 1960s, but if it was anything like today's, he did not learn a thing.
2: No, but he, he probably got into a flame war with Probably somebody.
1: did, yeah. <laughs> probably saw a few more inappropriate things, but that's all right. Yes.
2: Uh, now, it looks like uh, Batman does, in fact, have a lead.
1: He says, only from the most unlikely source, Flash. Snapper, are you still there? Can you repeat what you just told me?
2: Now, Lucas, Snapper Carr, is a character created by Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowsky. He first appeared in Brave and the Bold number 28, February-March 1960 issue, otherwise known as the first appearance of the Justice League of America. I, th- I think Snapper Carr comes first, though, right?
1: I believe so. The- so. You do see him first, yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, no. I, I think that's why like, when when you see it in the Wizard magazine, its first appearance, Snapper. Right, right. Then Justice League. Yeah, that's
1: right. That's right. That's <laughs> ancillary. Yeah.
2: Yes. Now, when, when editor Julius Schwartz wanted to use his new Silver Age characters in a new team, DC Comics executive editor Whitney Ellsworth not only insisted that a teenager be a member of the Justice League, according to Schwartz, but also this teenager be. Hip
1: Hmm. Good idea Uh, (laughs) He wanted a representative of this massive Burgeoning youth culture that we know now As the uh, the baby boomers And specifically told Schwartz to have the character Emulate the hip talking, leather jacket Wearing, finger snapping, kooky Kookson character on the popular Television series 77 Sunset Strip Ellsworth further, further insisted That this character must be a civilian Meaning not a superhero or sidekick Made hip through dialogue,
2: yeah, that's uh, Bob Haney's
1: job. That's right. right. He'll he'll <laughs> handle that hip talk.
2: Yes. Now, uh, Snapper Car gets his nickname because he's snapping his fingers all the time. Uh, he first joined the JLA because he figured out how to defeat Starro. You're just gonna have to take our yeah, word for it. Really.
1: Uh, anyway, Snapper responds to Batman's call over the uh, uh, the Bat telephone, I guess, and sure. he's got Batgirl and Metamorpho behind him.
2: Yeah. Snapper goes. Gladly, Dadly. Metamorpho and Batgirl came to the JLA secret sanctuary hoping to find more than a little old on me, because they had some gloom doom to share.
1: <laughs> Batgirl says,
2: That's one way
1: to put it, Batman. I and six others followed the villains to so the distant planet Ran and learned their ultimate
2: plan. While Batgirl describes said ultimate plan, we see the items being named.
1: Raiding different worlds, they've stolen the Great Battery, which gives the Interstellar Green Lantern core its power.
2: And indeed, it's the classic Railroad Lantern-looking thing.
1: A knowledge gathering de-
2: de- something called the
1: Absorbiscon.
2: <laughs> this looks kind of like a pair of headphones with a uh, mohawk strapped to the top. And
1: a prismatic jewel, originally from Superman's home planet of Krypton.
2: And it looks like a Silver Age representation of a multifaceted jewel. That's
1: right. If you ever Uh, saw that, you know exactly. There's only one way they ever drew it. That's it.
2: Uh, Now Batgirl further goes on to explain the rest of the story up to the moment. That Agnamemno got the villains to assemble these things into a mega weapon powerful enough that they used it to incinerate him. Then they hopped a portal back to Earth.
1: Now that we know the whole truth and what we're in for, we've begun rallying Earth's other heroes together. Even now, Black Hawk's using the last of his strength to contact the Doom Patrol. Adam Strange is corralling the Metal Men. And Mento and the Shining Knight are recruiting the Teen Titans and Elongated Man.
2: How about that? We see all of them as named. Yeah.
1: And just then, the Injustice League is sighted over Gotham City.
2: Superman goes, then that's as far as they'll get. We can't afford to hide anymore. Let's go. Well, who died and made him
1: king? I mean, sheesh. Batgirl says, no,
2: you don't understand the terrible
1: danger you're in, that we're all in. While they were in your bodies, the villains unmasked.
2: They've learned your secret identities. Superman is shocked. He goes, what?
1: Does that mean they found out about it as uh, My Little Pony fan fiction?
2: I would, I would think so, probably, right? I would, I would imagine that, that's part of the deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and to uh, make matters worse, using the Abscorbiscon, they've uh, mentally imprinted the combined knowledge of the entire human race. So they probably have a pretty good idea what happened to the original mom on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, right?
1: I, I assume they ate her. I, mean, I don't know what happened, but yeah, she mm. kind of... Batgirl continues, Batman, your, sing- your signal's scrambled! So, I don't know exactly where you're contacting us from at this moment, but
2: they do! Though, so, you know, hiding out in the Batcave isn't exactly deep cover. It is right? the Batcave, for goodness' yeah. sake. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, meanwhile, in the streets of Gotham, terror reigns. Uh, the Injustice League hovers around the lantern battery from Oa, which has the Abscorbiscon and the Kryptonian Jewel shoved into it. The people below are freaking out, somewhat understandably. Yeah. Green Lantern, I'm sorry, Dr. Light says Green Lantern's weakness is the color yellow Imagine that
1: Catwoman says "Mm, So the government has hidden kryptonite Mm,
2: Black Manta goes Aquaman has a child
1: And Luther, of course, he has to jump in and say Enough, enough Even my mind can hold only so much without bursting with glee my friends, we shall put this information to use. But while knowledge is power, we can create superpower.
2: Let's do just a natural salesman.
1: It really is. <laughs> Since the Krypton Jewel filters out the power battery's weakness against objects yellow, I propose, inspired by Sinestro, that we put all the colors of the spectrum
2: to fiendish use. Mm, you guys cleared this with Jeff Johns, right? I
1: hope so. He did write that one issue, but I don't yeah. know. Starting just beneath a little shanty known as Stately Wayne Manor.
2: And so, using their Skittles-colored power rings, the Injustice League explodes into the Batcave.
1: Only to arrive too late?
2: Mm, Felix Faust goes, Merlin's beard! The Justice League!
1: And the Penguin says, Bwah! They're gone! Run like cowards! But to where?
2: Turns out that the Flash and Superman have been working overtime. Bring in all of the Justice League members' loved ones into Gorilla City.
1: Now, Gorilla City, that's a hidden city in Africa populated by super-intelligent gorillas. It vibrates on a different plane than Earth-1 or something like that. point is, it's not just obscured by foliage, it's actually invisible. First appeared in the Flash number 106, May 1959 cover date, Menace of the Super-Gorilla by John Broom and Carmine Infantino. As Sheldon Muldoff explained to the Comics Journal, he said, It was a question of trying to find something that sold. And if one issue came out and it happened to sell, then immediately they would follow that type of story. Now, it didn't necessarily follow through that that they were going to sell. Now, I know Jack Schiff, and when he was editor of Batman, he followed sales very well. When he found that a gorilla on cover sold, you could be damn sure that an issue or two, you're going to have another gorilla story.
2: Thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, Flash and Superman assemble uh, Ma and Pa Kent, Superman's Earth parents, of course. The Flash's fiance Iris West, Flash's parents Henry and Nora Allen.
1: They also grab Batman's butler Alfred, who knows that he's really Bruce Wayne, and then Commissioner Gordon of Gotham, who does not
2: know it. <laughs> Aquaman's wife Mara and their son Arthur Jr. Adam's girlfriend Jean Loring.
1: Black Canary's mom, Dinah Drake-Lance, and Diana Mead, who was Martian Manhunter's police partner in his human guise as Detective John
2: Jones. Lois Lane, for some reason Jamie Olsen, Harry uh, White, uh, <laughs> all Clark Kent's co-workers at the Daily Planet who are all unaware that he is really Superman.
1: And this is kind of a nice, goofy scene uh, that it shows that these characters had kind of more rich lives, I think, than, mm. you know, we, we hear about Silver Age and how simple it was, and it was... Silly and simple, but there was continuity in in the people that these that these uh, characters sure. interacted with. So, this is sort of a little little uh, peekaboo from them. So, but <laughs> now assembled together, everyone figures out the super, superhero's secret identities. Though so it really is a wonder that some of them didn't suss it out earlier than this. Come on, right?
2: Since half of them are reporters anyway, really, <laughs> including including Iris West, who says, "Barry, is that is that you?"
1: He says. I... I didn't want to tell you
2: this way, Iris. (laughs) Superman goes, none of us did, but we have no choice. The stakes are just too high, and you'd learn soon enough, now that our greatest enemies have you in their sights.
1: It's why we brought you here, to the safest place we could imagine, a technologically advanced realm with fierce protectors, long hidden in the African jungle. Until five minutes ago, I was the only Earthman alive who knew of its existence. Of Gorilla City, way to steal the Flash's thunder, Superman. I mean,
2: right? How man. many times does he get to present anything? Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, King Solovar, who runs Gorilla City, tells the Flash that their human pals will be just fine in his care. But the Atom says it's not supposed to happen this way.
1: Yeah, remembering back the Silver Age, Challenger, the Unknown, Number One. He says that while in Kronos' body, he caught a glimpse of the future and saw the Injustice League defeated not by them, but brand new heroes that they'd never seen before.
2: Hmm. Suddenly, all of the Injustice League members' uh, heads appear in the sky. Sinestro is at the front of the pack.
1: He says, Fools! Did you not think we would share in Flash's knowledge of this hidden city? Duh. Yeah. Thank you for consolidating our targets. Your friends, however, will keep until such time as we annihilate you. Gather all the allies you wish. They won't save you.
2: Not to be too dark about it, but if the Injustice League wants to make the Justice League suffer, wouldn't they dispatch their loved ones before eliminating the actual
1: heroes? Yeah, I mean, like, the Penguin's going to make Alfred suffer, and he hardly even knows the guy. Like, just you understand? Yeah. standard, Bruce Wayne's the guy <laughs> you want. Anyway, Sinestro says, after all, an entire corpse couldn't save Green Lantern. Flash says, I knew it, if you've heard him. If I have, Flash, he'll never know. Right now, he and his fellow Lanterns are trapped helplessly this side of the planet ran, caught in a hive mind web which eradicates their individuality, and thus the willpower they require to activate their
2: power rings. That's like he's on Twitter or something. Really? Uh, now, the, the simplest explanation truly is the most likely.
1: Yeah, to really, When he boils it down, it's like, oh, right, right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> there is no hope. There is no escape.
1: The world is ours, and once we have made certain it cannot retaliate, we will come for you.
2: Having had everything they hold dear threatened, our heroes take off to find... Something
1: uh, Well, hopefully we'll find out soon In fact, right now in SOS to Nowhere Chapter 2 That's right, this thing has chapters, Chris Six of them, in fact A whole lot Yeah.
2: Now this one combines Superman, the Silver Age Teen Titans And Aquaman Sinestro and Black Manta are stealing some nukes from a submarine
1: Oh, hey, wait, this is where the story began That's right <laughs> uh, So heroes are streaking across the water Toward the submarine on a disc being pulled By Aquaman and Aqualad Superman is flying under his own power, naturally.
2: Aquaman goes, Our marine friends were right, Aqualad. There's Sinestro, helping himself to a nuclear cache. Superman says, I'll handle him, Aquaman. You and the Titans scout for Black Manta.
1: And Speedy of the Teen Titans says, Manta, we're diving after that thub thief
2: screwball? Speedy calls out to Aqualad, who's pulling them ashore.
1: Hey, Gilhead. Wonder Chick is slippery when wet. And how do you expect our little Robin here to spread his wings underwater? Aqualad replies, Let me worry about that, Speedy. You just get ready to twang that bow thang.
2: Now, if he's a teen like I was a teen, he'll have absolutely no trouble.
1: So, uh, in the museum annex next to the nuclear submarine, Black Manta is skulking about murdering guards. He's impervious to the arrow shot by Speedy and the batarangs thrown by Robin but Aquaman thinks he's got an ace up his sleeve.
2: Black Manta says, I know what you're thinking, Aquaman. By being within telepathic range of these fish, you can use them against me, but I've beat you to them.
1: Black Manta focuses his eye beams on a fish in a tank, turning it into a gigantic
2: sea monster. Fueled by my power ring, my eye beams now have the power to enlarge them transforming them into savage beasts from the deep.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he did more than a large Then This thing looks like the monster from the movie Reptilicus. You know, this is... Yeah,
2: it's not just a big fish.
1: It's not a big fish. It's a monster, <laughs> yeah. Uh, outside, Sinestro casts Superman at some military men, and those military men swarm and pile on top of Superman.
2: As Sinestro and Black Man, to prepare their escape, Superman tunnels through the ground beneath them, escaping the army guys. Uh, this was a very common Silver Age practice for Superman.
1: Yeah, he loved to tunnel back then. Mm-hmm. In fact, he tunnels right into the museum just in time to punch the sea monster uh, right when it's about to make a quick snack of Aquaman. They take a breather to make sure the Titans are alive, but uh, the military's on them in an instant. So Superman grabs Aquaman's hand and flies away before they can be accosted.
2: We better follow Sinestro and Manta while we still can, provided we can figure out where they went. I have a good idea. I'll signal the others, and if I'm right, we'll find their mega-weapon as well. And
1: now, S.O.S. to Nowhere Chapter 3. This one combines the Green Arrow and Black Canary, Batgirl, and Mento. They've come to Solar City to thwart the Penguin and Dr. Light and their plot to do yada 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 something evil.
2: Mm, Of course, Solar City's police force, a.k.a. the Robocop fan club, they're uh, right on their tail.
1: Green Arrow says, hey, future cop, out of the way. We're the good guys, remember? Fine. They're not listening? Perk up their ears, pretty bird.
2: The caption reads, Unleashing her sonic scream, Black Canary decks the patrol unit.
1: Batgirl says, Hurry! We have to beat Dr. Light to the city's solar collector! Exactly. I like the way you think, Red. Let's go.
2: Black Canary thinks, Red? Hmm.
1: At the solar collector, Dr. Light and the Penguin have trussed up its caretakers, who happen to be Bruce Gordon, also known as Eclipso, and Dr. Simon Bennett, his mentor.
2: Dr. Light says, new, do, new solar city, brainchild of Bruce Gordon and his mentor, Dr. Simon Benetti, Be- Bennett See? <laughs> Dr. Light continues. Kudos on its centerpiece, Gordon. Had your photon converter proved successful, the human race would quickly have become dependent on your benevolence for its energy needs.
1: Or they could keep using The same energy sources already at hand I don't, are they running low? I don't really know what's happening uh, The Penguin replies, yeah, as it happens We prefer the world to be dependent On no one but us
2: Penguin breaks the giant Mirror that is the solar collector We
1: guess I, yeah, I don't know what that is, but it, it breaks the thing And Dr. Light says he should be careful
2: Careful, Pengie How yonder light breaks
1: don't call me Pengy, Arthur.
2: Lest we accidentally block it and create an eclipse effect. Or do you want to share our hard-gotten gains with yet another super criminal?
1: See, they know the deal about Bruce Gordon, that he is eclipso. And boring. And they won't actually factor into this story <laughs> at all, but uh, <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Just then, Mento appears.
2: He shoots pink mental energy at the penguin and Dr. Light.
1: He says, hey, I've got a better idea. You might even call it a brainstorm. And Penguin replies, "Ah, Yeah, that that was pretty bad. It was awful. Uh, Mento KOs the villains, then boasts about how the rest of the heroes can relax. Also implies he should be a member of the JLA.
2: Black Canary has thoughts on that as well. She says, just what we need, another arrogant millionaire. What? Nothing, heads up
1: So, Doctor lights back on his feet And he shoots a beam of light at Mento This puts Smarty Pants in a hypnotic trance
2: The Penguin creates a blue umbrella Using his power ring Green Arrow's arrows And Batgirl's batterings are useless against it
1: are these the only projectiles in the whole DC universe? Are arrows and batarangs? I, they have nothing else. I don't understand. I think.
2: Do we count eye, pro, eye beams as projectiles? <laughs> Maybe. And... I don't
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the force. Uh, Penguin says, Is that? The best you can do? Don't forget, you're a arrow and your grenade arrow." Batgirl, try your concussion pellets. Green Arrow says, "Listen to him. He knows every shaft in my quiver."
2: Ew.
1: <laughs> Batgirl responds, "And every weapon in my utility belt." He's taunting us. Don't worry, Red. I'll watch your back.
2: Black Canary flies into the scene with her kicking foot at the lead.
1: And she's mad as hell. She says,
2: I'll bet.
1: So Dr. Light zaps her with some hypnotizing light and it messes her up a little bit. Dr. Light readies a big burst of, like, light power, I guess. I write whatever it's going to be. But Green Arrow picks up a shard of shattered mirror from the ground. Facing it at Dr. Light, it dispatched both him and the penguin, that old Medusa gambit.
2: Mmm, Black Canary says, visions clearing. Ollie, you saved me? Why?
1: We have a date next Friday.
2: Since when?
1: Since now. Hey, Mento and Red are okay, just KO'd. Any idea where Finhead and Fatty went?
2: But then, Green Arrow's JLA signal device crackles on, and it's Superman on the other side. He says, Superman here, Arrow, and I have a good notion. Sending you a rendezvous. Which, uh, I don't know about you, but it sounds like uh, we got another chapter coming.
1: Oh, you bet. It's SOS to Nowhere, Chapter 4. This chapter features the Shining Knight, Metal Man, well, at least just Tin, Platinum, Gold, and Mercury, the Flash, the Elongated Man, and John Johns, Manhunter from Mars. Talk about A bang for your buck, you know None of these guys are huge, but there's a lot of them
2: There sure are (laughs) This Shining Knight is unique to the Silver Age event And isn't Sir Justin But this is a fellow named Gardner Grail Uh, Later he'd become an Atomic Knight But uh, for the purpose of this We'll say he found some souped up armor And started calling himself Shining Knight
1: Yeah, you'll see why it's not that Important in a moment Yeah. (laughs) Anyhow, this team has fought their way Through the soldiers outside Moscow's Kremlin unaware that Kronos has already used his amplified time powers to regress the Soviet heads of state to childhood. Kronos says,
2: Can't imagine the Russian government will be much threat to us now, Hey, Mr. Element?
1: Yeah, uh, Mr. Element's here, too. This is actually an alternate identity for Dr. Alchemy, because
2: comics are crazy. Yes, uh, just two wacky guys that love underestimating children. (laughs) Uh, Then the good guys bust into the room. Sid says,
1: then pick b- b- on somebody your own size, you g- g- goons. And Mercury says, that's telling up, Tin. This is no time to be shy.
2: To which Gold says, get them already. They're the ones we really
1: want. You know, I don't think Kronos or Mr. Element have ever heard that aloud said aloud before. Probably not. You know, they're yeah. like, oh, somebody wants us. That's <laughs> Anyway, Kronos uses his time-shifting powers to get to age the elongated man and the flash into uselessness. Then Mr. Element shoots a napalm pistol at Martian Manhunter. That's that's pretty brutal, isn't it? I mean, even for a guy that isn't, you know, have a, a weakness to fire, that's pretty
2: bad. That's wow. Yeah, that, that's like cruel. <laughs> uh, now Kronos turns uh, Shining Knight's armor into dust. So ends the illustrious <laughs> career of Gardner Grail as Shining Knight.
1: Or does it? Because Platinum mm. says, "Relax, handsome. If you'll excuse the pun." We've got you
2: covered. Gold says, Together we can make you a metal suit that'll put your last one to shame.
1: As long as you don't factor color or style into the equation, it'll be fine. Sure. So they coalesce around Grail, and Mr. Element fires his element gun at them.
2: As he says, An interesting gambit, metal men. Tell me, though, how do you work as, as a team once I turn mercury into hydrochloric acid?
1: I don't know, is hydrochloric acid liquid at room temperature? That's pretty much all Mercury up, does, you know? <laughs> he actually doesn't say it here, though. I was kind of stuck. I know, anyway,
2: I'm a little disappointed. Yeah, you had
1: the opportunity, but you didn't take it. <laughs> uh, amazingly, despite the fact that they're dying, the Metal Men remains stuck to Gardner Grail and makes him look like <laughs> a misshapen monster. Grail lurches forward, toward uh, Man- Martian Manhunter on the ground and throws his form right on John, uh, who's burning up, and puts out that fire, because why not? I think that would probably happen, right?
2: Yeah. Now free of the napalm, Martian Manhunter blows flesh out of Kronos' trap, uh, stopping his advanced arthritis.
1: Um, is is that how arthritis works? You just reverse time and you're fine. Is that? I thought it was that, a cumulative that's, thing, right? That's what now. I always knew. Okay. That's the way I always knew. It. Yeah. Uh, now we can assume they save the elongated man too. We don't see how, but he's fine. Uh, of course, Kronos and the Element Man have skedaddled, and then that belt radio squawks on again.
2: Flesh. John, this is Superman Meet us immediately at the following coordinates So, uh, new new chapter?
1: New chapter SOS to Nowhere, Chapter 5 And in here we have the Atom, the Doom Patrol, Batman, and Metamorpho the Element Man in one adventure
2: There were more heroes in the previous chapter. I
1: know. Get some money back on this one, maybe. (laughs) Now they arrive in Paris too late to prevent the Injustice League from stealing not only the contents of the Louvre Museum, but the museum itself. It's Catwoman Felix Faust, Faust and Lex Luthor focusing their power rings on the building, lifting it off the ground.
2: Then suddenly, they're inside the museum, making bits of art float around. Hilariously, Felix Faust is raising his hands with Flourish, like he's still doing magic.
1: I know, you just can't get it. It's like an old habit, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Catwoman said, marvelous, simply marvelous. I'll trade you an El Greco and a Titian for the Mona Lisa Faust.
2: And I can't remember what voice I did for Faust, but I'll do my best here. Okay. <laughs> Throw in the pieta, my dear, and you have yourself a deal. And
1: Lex Luther chimes in, Now, now, children, share and share alike. True, the world is ours now, but I see no reason it shouldn't be well decorated.
2: Metamorpho pops in and goes, Well, I do,
1: Baldy. Hey, it's the good guys rushing on to the scene. <laughs>
2: As Rex Mason, I found a lot of this stuff.
1: So hands off. Well, I mean, you sort of relinquished ownership when you donated it to the museum, and this isn't like backseas, you know. You, you,
2: it's, it, it's not a pawn shop.
1: It, exactly. It belongs to the <laughs> now. You can't, you know. Uh, Catwoman says, Ah, yes. Mason, the explorer and soldier of fortune. Remember Marrakesh, the ruby of Amakoper? When you awoke, both it and a beautiful woman were gone. Along with your finder's fee?
2: That was you? Now I'm really steamed. Come on, DP, let's give these clowns a freak show they won't forget. Mm,
1: Negative man says, Sounds good! And turns to the chief and says, Hey, chief, how come you never made him a member? And Chief Calder says, An oversight, Larry.
2: He's a natural. Plus, there was the whole thing between Arnold Drake and Bob Haney at the time. Uh, it's, it's a long it's story. A long that story. We, uh, we went into it during our, uh, I think, our Arnold Drake That's right. comics history our,
1: episode. Our comics history about Arnold Drake, you can hear all about sort of why the Metamorpho may not have been on the Doom Patrol. <laughs> uh, Felix Faust makes an ap- uh, apparition of Metamorpho's girlfriend, Sapphire, being attacked by little demons. This diverts Metamorpho's attention, who turns to save her. Negative Man tries to help sending out his negative entity at Felix Faust, but Felix Faust has employed some kind of boomerang spell, and this shatters Metamorpho for some reason when Negative Man smashes into him.
2: Uh, boomerangs, that's another projectile. Boomerangs, There okay. you go. <laughs> now, uh, Catwoman snags Negative Man and Robot Man in something that looks like Wonder Woman's lasso, but is more likely a construct of her power ring.
1: Right, because she's a whip person, especially in these yes. old days, right? But uh Anyway, Lex Luthor says, Baldy is such a cruel, cruel jape metamorpho, we phonically impaired should stick together, much like Elastigirl and the Atom, who even now believe we're unaware they're planning a microscopic attack through Catwoman's auditory canal.
2: Yeah, um, and and so they are all minuscule and crawling up the side of Catwoman's cow They're actually trying to enter one of the cat ears on top of Red, which is rather hysterical. Those aren't
1: real ears, guys. Those are just <laughs> those are just uh, part of the costume.
2: It's a thought that cat. Uh, now, uh, Catwoman manifests a mousetrap that binds the Adam and Alaska, Elastigirl. She says,
1: "Normally, Adam, I prefer my men grown up." But I like both of you just the size you are. Aw, oh, how sweet. In fact, try to grow and you'll carve yourself into ribbons against my ring shackles.
2: Uh, maybe not that sweet. Not um, so sweet anymore, no. <laughs> uh, now, while Catwoman is distracted, Robot Man calls out uh, some familiar play that sends Negative Man out of his body. You know, you get the idea here
1: But of course, the Injustice League knows everything So they even know the plays from the Doom Patrol playbook
2: Yes, Felix Faust goes Oh yes, the formerly secret code maneuvers 23D The disorienting pavement flip How pedestrian And what's this we find under the pavement? Robot Man picks up
1: a hunk of pavement and ripples it like a carpet And this exposes a bunch of wires
2: could it be live wires? Nico has to find Hargo,
1: and Felix Faust casts a spell that makes these wires wrap around Robot, robot Man and shock him. But good, Faust also captures the negative entity in a, negative entity in a box while he's at it.
2: Fort a fourteen R, release the hostages. Sorry, negative men, Larry, count yourself among their number. And Robot Man goes, not nah, no. If if he's not not.
1: Luther says, I think what Robot Man's trying to say is this. If Negative Man's not returned to Larry Trainer's body in 60 seconds, both will die. Sorry, but I have other things to worry about, such as, where, oh, where is Batman hiding?
2: We see Chief Calder produce a -a Batarang. But, without warning, Luther whirls on the, quote, chief. Lex Luthor fires his power ring at him, exposing Bruce Wayne beneath a Niles Calder costume.
1: Where would a master of disguise be but under the very noses of the gendarme, and us? (sighs) How hard is this to explain, Mr. Wayne? You cannot win. You, all of Earth's heroes, have completely and forevermore lost the element of surprise. And we know your every move, your every weakness, your every strategy. We can predict every gambit and countermeasure in your collective arsenal. We know you so well, you cannot even imagine a maneuver we cannot anticipate. Frankly, killing you now is too easy to be rewarding. We'd rather watch you leave Earth with your tails between your legs.
2: Did you put that to a vote? uh, I think Black Manta was cool with just killing them, right?
1: Yeah, I think a couple of the guys would be alright with that, frankly, just to move on from this. But uh, Luther says, In fact, we give the JLA 30 minutes. Go! Or your loved ones die screaming, beginning with a certain boy wonder. Ed Sheeran? So the villains leave. (laughs) This time they simply kick the heroes' butts. Uh, While they regroup, Batman's belt buckle begins chatting.
2: Batman, Adam, this is Superman. Follow my signal.
1: And out a tell the Oomde a troll pay. So, uh, another chapter?
2: Actually, no. Whoa! <sighs> mm-hmm, this one's gonna continue. Turns out all the heroes have convened at the Lexcorp building. They're looking for the Injustice League's mega-weapon.
1: Yeah, Martian Manhunter's, uh, like his, uh, Mars Vision can't find it.
2: Well, he's a manhunter That's not a true, hunter. not a thing like uh, yeah. <laughs> Black Canary goes Maybe he's installed lead shielding Against your x-ray vision To which Superman says I thought of that, but John's supervision Sees through everything And he's found nothing They're nowhere in sight Hmm, or are they?
1: You know, now is not really the time to be coy, Superman it's Sort of an emergency happening
2: he is theatric, but I mean, yeah. there is a time and place Yeah. Uh, now the heroes are feeling pretty bummed out about the situation
1: Yeah, Green Arrow says Our enemies know us backward and forward And there's nothing we can do about it We can't change who we are
2: Martian Manhunter interrupts to say What? What did you say?
1: I. and then Batman says John, you have an idea?
2: With the Absorbis guns in play, I dare not share it It's all I can do to telepathically shield my own mind from its invasiveness.
1: Six months later, Snuggies were available on the market. Cha-ching. Good idea. So Martian Manhunter Manhunter takes off to enact his secret plan, so secret he can't even tell himself.
2: (laughs) Still, if I can return in time, we have one chance. But for it to work, our foes must be distracted. Though you cannot hope to win, you must combat them head on.
1: Yeah, I'm just going to take a powder here while you get all knocked around for a little while. How about that? Sure. So long, (laughs) guys.
2: Using his telescopic vision, Superman sees that the Injustice League are on their way.
1: Caption reads, And so begins the final battle over the Mega Weapon. But where is it? And who really controls it?
2: We see the Mega Weapon, which uh, looks... Just like the uh, Green Lantern power source.
1: Yeah, laughably, it's like in a museum behind some velvet rope. Like, it's just like, where's this? They'll keep everybody out. Yeah. We'll find exactly that they've got to pay a fee. So it turns out that Agamemno has been hiding inside of it all along, waiting to conquer all. It must be a, pretty comfortable in there, right? He's been in there a little while. It's time. What? Is it over? The issue's over?
2: No, no, it's, t- it's, it's time.
1: Oh, next chapter
2: Next chapter
1: So, SOS to nowhere, chapter 6 On the outskirts of Metropolis, the JLA converges on an abandoned building in a deserted neighborhood
2: Superman goes, there, that old museum has been empty for years But by no coincidence, after it was bought by LexCorp, I see Luther secretly equipped it as an auxiliary headquarters
1: what, the uh, 200-foot-tall skyscraper was too cramped for him? He needed a little uh, space to branch out?
2: Gotta stretch your legs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Black Canary goes, Complete with his own little hall of heroes, I see. What is it with this guy?
1: So, Black Canary's referring to a row of statues of famous bad guys through history. Uh, we see Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan, Captain Kidd, uh, and Al Capone. This references Lex Luthor's actual underground secret lair during the Silver Age, which he called the Nefarium. It also mm. it also contained statues of Benedict Arnold and Judas Iscariot, depending on what angle you were looking at the row on. You know, uh, back then, however, he was just a mad scientist. So the skyscraper owning businessman would come later. This is kind of playing a little fast and loose with the character, which actually is kind of true of all of them. But we'll we'll, we'll yeah. talk about that. Amalgamated
2: later on. takes, yeah, sorta, of, yeah. Now our heroes come upon the mega weapon, uh, which the Flash calls the. Super weapon for some reason. They seem to go just back to, and just forth. Just confusing. Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, once everyone's in the room, the Injustice League appears. Using their power rings, the Injustice League overpowers the JLA handily.
1: Oddly, Mister Element doesn't use his power ring. He uses his element gun, but the result is the same anyway. Hmm. So then, Martian Manhunter comes swooping in and starts punching wildly.
2: Yeah, Superman goes, John,
1: <coughs> no. Don't risk yourself! We've failed! And then a young boy's hand reaches into view. Holding a rotary telephone dial, he takes the unconscious Flash's hand and begins to dial.
2: Holding wait, holding a what?
1: A, uh, a rotary telephone dial. Huh? Before there were push buttons, uh, were, these phones used a circular dial on them.
2: Uh, push buttons?
1: Right. Uh, in the old days, when people had telephones instead of cellular phones...
2: Telephone?
1: So, yeah, anyway, once the dialing is done, the flash pops up and transforms into entirely different character.
2: Now, this is the Marionette. He has a red and green outfit, uh, some brown headgear and goggles, and his, uh, his exposed hair is parted right down the middle. It's wildly gaudy. Yeah. Uh, he wields one of those Marionette puppet controllers, uh, you know, that wooden X.
1: Right. He says, What? How? Kid, who are you? What did you do to me?
2: Now this kid is Robbie Reed And he says, you did it yourself Flash, with the alien dial My name's Robbie Reed And this is John's Secret Weapon
1: This is referencing a story Titled Dial H for Hero This ran within issues of the House of Mystery From number 156 That was January 1966 cover date To issue 173 That was March-April 1968 cover date All of them were scripted by Dave Wood And mostly drawn by Jim Mooney Though he hopped off at the very end uh, the, so the story behind him is that Littleton, Colorado-born kid, Robbie Reed, finds a rotary dial.
2: A uh, watery dial?
1: Uh, it's in a cavern, and when he writes out H-E-R-O, he turns into a fantastical superhero. Spelling it backwards changes him back to a nerd again. Uh, Martian Manhunter learned of Robbie in the issue Silver Age, dial H for hero number one, when he inhabited the body of Dr. Light.
2: Superman goes, of course The villains know us inside and
1: out as Justice Leaguers Green Arrow says But when I said we couldn't change who we are I was dead wrong
2: You have no idea, Oliver
1: You have quite a character change ahead of you In the uh, (laughs) timeline So the Justice League uses the alien dial And each change their forms The Atom becomes Mod Man Which looks like a robot with limbs made of vacuum cleaner tubes
2: you know, when you're called Mod Man, I was, a. Uh, am hopeful for... I would uh, think of
1: some more mod, it's true, yeah.
2: yeah a little mad moddy there. <laughs> uh, now, Black Canary becomes Misfortune Fortune Har Har. Uh, it's a blonde woman with a domino mask, a red shirt, and yellow pants. She holds a wand in one of her white gloves.
1: Superman becomes Doc Fission, vertically half-blue, half-black hero, with glowing fists and bearing a welder's mask.
2: Batman becomes Minuteman, a guy in orange spandex that looks suspiciously like Kronos, but his uh, cowl and cape are made from a clock face.
1: Probably borrowed from Salvador Dali, the way they look, right? A little droopy. Hmm. Uh, Aquaman becomes Terra firmer, who's like a massive brown behemoth with grass growing on his head and body. I'm not, It's really weird. I'm not sure what he is.
2: It's like they, they ran out of ideas for that one. Pretty much. Um, and Green Arrow becomes... Poltergeist Uh, He's got a white hood, gloves and boots Uh, Nothing, and uh, we mean nothing else It's just a
1: hood, gloves and boots Just air, yeah Uh, And of course the Flash already became marionette
2: Robbie Reed goes You'll know your powers as automatically As you knew your names And as conveniently
1: (laughs) Green Arrow says This is actually, uh, Poltergeist says This is wild Those creeps won't know what they're up against Minuteman says and as long as we keep them away from the absorbuscon, it'll stay that way.
2: The Adam. Who's the Adam again?
1: It is uh Mod Man.
2: Oh, the Mod Man goes, which gives us all the advantage we need.
1: What's up with these guys? Like they're always finishing each other's sentences all the time. Like just I know. Just let people speak. It's not. It's very rude. So this newly formed JLA do a full court press on the Injustice League. First, Batman as Minuteman speeds up the time around the Injustice League's power rings. Making them run out of juice Then Superman as Doc Fission Grabs Felix Faust by the collar and Replicates him several times
2: Hmm. Felix Faust goes What? What's happening to me? And Superman as Doc Fission goes The Fission touch, Faust I can divide you into as many duplicates as I like Which would make you more dangerous If each of you weren't only a fraction as powerful as the original
1: Okay, that's an interesting
2: power, I guess. Convenient, too, I guess. (laughs) Uh, We got a caption that says, Meanwhile, the ghostly chaos-creating Poltergeist creates havoc around Dr. Light and Sinestro.
1: He says, Wow, I gotta say, this beats a boxing glove arrow hands down. Night, boys. And Sinestro says, Our weapons backfiring.
2: Poltergeist is making power rings bind their bearers somehow.
1: I thought Minuteman drained the rings of their power like I thought so too. two panels ago. Maybe it wasn't these guys. Uh nearby Robbie helps the weakened Martian Manhunter to his feet.
2: John, they need help. I've been trying to dial, but I've used but I but I used two recently. And it won't always work twice back to back. I'm sorry.
1: He's really regretting that earlier change to Quickie Man to get ice cream.
2: Yeah, that, you that, that you, you, you got to um, parse it out. Um, Martian Manhunter goes, no need to apologize, Robert. You've done well. If you notify the authorities... And Martian
1: Manhunter hits the alien dial himself and becomes a ska music fan.
2: <laughs> while I add teleportation powers to the fray. As moons of Mars, can my name really be... Go, go.
1: So he looks like a naked guy with black and white checkerboards <laughs> painted all over. Like, that's it. That's, that's his whole look. But he's referring to DC Comics' use of a black and white checkerboard trim at the top of their comic book covers, known as Go Go checks. Definitely, These are featured yeah. on all.
2: Sorry? I said definitely. Yeah,
1: they were featured on all DC titles from February 1966 to August 1967. It was thought this would make them stand out from the competition. Particularly in racks where comics were arranged vertically And thus only the tops were visible
2: Mm -hmm. After Martian Manhunter changes into Go-Go Robbie splits conveniently Uh, Go-Go teleports right in front of Lex Luthor Who is running toward the Abscorbiscount Go-Go grabs Luthor and teleports him So he's on top of Kronos Sending them both to the floor
1: Now Miss Fortune waves her wand And a hydrant bursts right on Catwoman
2: Uh, She goes... A hydrant breaking out of the blue. What are the odds? I
1: don't know, three thousand to one, depending on what part of town.
2: Yeah, how many people flush the toilet at once? It
1: could happen. It could happen. Yeah.
2: She continues, I can't take all the credit, Catwoman. Black cats always bring bad luck. Not just not usually on themselves.
1: Hashtag not all cats.
2: (laughs) The penguin is getting very annoyed and just starts shooting fire from the end of his umbrella.
1: How could they be beating us? I thought we knew everything they could do Everything And the the uh, marionette says No, Pegwood Absorbiscod or no Absorbiscod There was always a gap in your knowledge You guys never learned to work together
2: Aquaman and the guys of that giant grass beast yeah. <laughs> It's called teamwork You really ought to try it sometime
1: we just saw you in, all individually take out specific members of the Injustice League You literally did not use any any teamwork No teamwork, no, no
2: tandem offense Yeah. Uh, now It's tough to say what Marionette's powers are here uh, He's manipulating the flame like a puppet um, And it looks like he's throwing some garbage at the I, Penguin too.
1: I'm not even sure what's happening He's just sort of <laughs> messing the Penguin up a little bit here uh, Terra Firma just causes the ground to swallow Black Manta Pole uh, then Terraformer stops his foot, and all the Injustice League fall into a wide chasm. Holy cow! Yikes! It's like, hello, you've suddenly got powerful. Uh, Mod Man uses his modular arms to gather the unconscious villains. So, uh, <laughs> I guess those limbs are more like vacuum cleaner tubes than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> Only for cleanup, it looks
2: like. Yep. Yeah. Now, uh, Misfortune goes. I don't believe it. Heroes nine, villains zero. They're out.
1: And uh, Green Arrow says, it wasn't easy, but we did it. They're finished.
2: There's a loud fooom, and the ground shakes beneath the JLA, and wouldn't you know it? It's Agamemno.
1: And he says, and I thank you. You've just eliminated half my enemies. And as for the other half, well, I don't see you being much of a problem.
2: I mean, have you even seen Doc Fission's powers? He could make like ten of you.
1: You could have big problems here. Uh, Mm -hmm. Minuteman says, No, I thought Agamemno was dead.
2: Doc Fission goes, Since when have you ever known Luther to tell the truth?
1: Well, I mean, to be fair, he did actually think Agamemno was dead. He wasn't lying. uh,
2: He'd have passed the lie detector on that Exactly.
1: Uh, Our heroes are freaking out and make a mad dash for the dial to develop new, unknown superpowers.
2: Why would you just try the same thing again? I know,
1: really. It doesn't work anyway. Agamemno
2: just flattens them. Agamemno imprisons the JLA in a cage made of... powers? Something, (laughs) yeah. And he plans to blast them into smithereens. Now and forevermore, I am the rightful
1: ruler of the universe, and you will be the first to taste my merciless vengeance. And suddenly, from above... It's Hawkman, and he goes, not today,
2: Agamemno.
1: Hawkman swoops in between Agamemno and the JLA and absorbs the power blast with his shield. The JLA don't know him yet, though, and as Hawkman frees them from the cage...
2: On my homeworld Thanagar, I am Hawkman, what you would call a policeman. We fought Agamemno ourselves just hours ago alongside the one you know as Green Lantern.
1: This happened in Silver Age, Green Lantern number one.
2: Hurry out of your cage My fellow officers can't hold Agamemno long
1: As Go-Go teleports away Marionette addresses Hawkman and says Fellow officers? Sounds like you didn't come alone
2: Hardly Earthman One Hawkman would hardly turn the tide But an entire phalanx may buy us the time we require
1: And then there's like many Hawkman descending from the sky Like a hundred or more that mm-hmm. are filling the sky
2: Superman says, for what? How How did you know you were needed on Earth? For that matter, how did you even get here?
1: Come on now, Doc Fission, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, okay? Right? <laughs> take, take the help as it comes. And then the Green Lantern Corps descends from the sky in much the same way the Hawkmen did.
2: They brought us.
1: Caption reads, the Green Lantern Corps, Emerald Ring Defenders of the Universe, thunder onto the scene like cavalry. But have they arrived too late?
2: Hal dispenses orders from the Corps to attack Agamemnon even. Uh, this page is dedicated to Gil Kane. Uh, every Green Lantern just zaps the dickens out of Agamemno with their power rings, uh, which really didn't require Hal Jordan's tactical mind. I right. know,
1: to face that guy and zap is really all you have to say. Yeah. Uh, the poltergeist says, I really need an update. Now, now that I'm not, not that I'm not grateful for the save, but didn't Sinestro swear the GLs were trapped in space? How'd they get loose?
2: You're really some trusting guys, aren't you?
1: Whatever your, whatever your enemies tell you, you're like, oh, okay, that's good. Yeah,
2: good enough for me. Yeah, the atom says, or, or the what is he, the vacuum man? Yeah, the, the mod man. man, right. Yeah. I've got a better question. With the Absorbis gone and the jewel kryptonite inside him, Agamemnon's still the mightiest being in the universe. So what chance even 3600 Green Lanterns have against them?
1: Then Gogo pops onto the scene holding some important items.
2: Not much of one, unless someone teleports into the battery and retrieves the jewel and the gun. Miss Fortune goes, "John, I could kiss you."
1: Way to blow a guy's secret identity, Miss Fortune.
2: Yeah, it's like that's his. First you've been a, Come you've on. been
1: a hero for a long time. You should know this. Come on.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, after this, it's just some uh, concentrating blasting in, by the uh, Green Lantern Corps that forces Agamemno into the big Green Lantern battery, where he winds up all restrained and uh, looking pretty grumpy.
0: Yeah,
1: Hal Jordan says you'll stay captive inside the battery, Agamemno, until we get it back to Oa. After which, I'm certain the Guardians of the Universe will find a suitable prison
2: for you. Knowing them, they'll probably just send him to the quad where you can go team up with the answer. I'm guessing
1: that's probably exactly yeah. <laughs> uh, Hal says, Earth no longer has to suffer your evil. You're finished.
2: So uh, one more time? What? How can this be? Just one one more. One more. Next chapter? Nope. It's an epilogue.
1: Oh, it's the epilogue. SOS to Nowhere Epilogue. It's cleanup time for the Justice League of America.
2: Hal Jordan is using his power ring and the Absorbiscon to wipe the Injustice League's minds. Somehow. Okay. Uh, yes, why not? Uh, and then Superman loads them into a Green Lantern Construct Sphere or something. Uh, tell you what, let's just let the captions tell it.
1: Victory! Earth's heroes stand triumphant, but their work isn't yet finished. By focusing his power ring through the Absorbiscon... Green Lantern ever so carefully reverses its effects, removing the knowledge of the JLA's secret identities from foe and friend alike. Meanwhile, having gathered the Injustice League, the leaguers imprisoned fallen foes and bid farewell to new allies. And the Hawkmen are flying away.
2: Yes, yeah, Superman says to Hawkman, Thanks again for the timely assist, gentlemen. Here's hoping our paths cross again someday. And then Hawkman goes, we can only hope, Superman, the legend of the Justice League far transcends its Terran origins. Really? Uh, Because they'd never heard of you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It would be an honor to have Hawkman serve alongside you in the future. And then the Metal
1: Men say goodbye to Gardner Grail, who laments losing his shiny knight armor. He really only used it once, and it it was gone. Uh, Platinum kisses him on the cheek and says, perhaps he'll be needed someday after a great disaster. This is called foreshadowing.
2: Hmm. Uh, now, the Hawkmen and the and Corps are flying away with a sphere of supervillains super in tow. Uh, are, are they not going to Earth prison for oh, their crimes? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guess they did not. They did sort of overstep the usual boundaries, right? Just
1: grab it up a bunch of people from Earth and take it off. Like,
2: all right, Exile so long. Them, yes. it's
1: very kind of, kind of crazy. But <laughs> uh, the Flash says, Looks like the Green Lanterns will escort the Hawks back to Thadagar. So fess up, Hal. How'd you guys escape Sinestro's trap? And Hal Jordan says, To be honest, Barry, I've no idea. Maybe we'll never know.
2: Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening.
1: Well, I mean, uh, just then, uh, Adam Strange shows up, uh, glowing all ominously and familiarly.
2: And Deadman says, Are
1: you kidding? Like I'm gonna turn my back on applause? Adam Strange? And Hal Jordan says, That doesn't sound like you, Adam.
2: Goodya, Green Jeans. The name's Deadman. S. Bats. He knows me.
1: And Deadman recounts his role as one of the seven soldiers who fought Agamemno on planet Ran.
2: But with the GLs all webbed up so close to Ron, I figured
1: I could spring them. If I picked the right team. This all happened in Silver Age Showcase
2: number one. And since we had to work fast Adam and I drafted Kid Flash We couldn't spread the plan around Too much chance the gone To pick it up But once the kid heard at what I'd been working on What I had working He let me take him over
1: So then, get this uh, Deadman possessed Kid Flash's body So he could run and be in the path Of the next planned Zeta Beam And then when zapped up to ran, Deadman kind of jumped out of Kid Flash's body On the way Like he got off an elevator and into the hive mind that trapped the Green Lantern Corps, and then using his abilities as a trapeze artist, he swung through the bodies of every member of the Green Lantern Corps, snapping them out of the imposed reverie. This is maybe the stupidest way out of a trap that's ever been written, right? It's—I mean, where do they, it's like—I
2: I gotta wonder how many how many of Mark Wade's index cards were used for this.
1: I—I I think quite a few. Yeah, they got <laughs> dog-eared in the writing of this, yeah.
2: Now, uh, Lex Luthor strikes a match on Superman's chin and lights a cigarette, which would probably really tick John Byrne off. Right? Oh yeah, he he's, would be. He's very, not a fan of that kind of thing.
1: You don't do that to Superman anyway. So Luthor says,
2: maybe he right. was a superbot.
1: <laughs> that's somebody he would write later. It was one of his <laughs> one of his robots. Uh, Luthor says, you realize, of course, that I'm in the clear. Unlike those other buffoons with their long criminal records, I've done nothing incriminating.
2: I'm um, pretty sure they've just been kidnapped to an on, off-world penitentiary, right? Yeah,
1: you know, we're not going to hear from them, I don't think, for a little while. <laughs> uh, Luther continues, In fact, I'll be very public about the fact that I was manipulated by an alien conqueror who wished to put LexCorp resources at his disposal. My condolences. It must be humbling once again to watch me snatch victory from the jaws of defeat.
2: Superman replies with, Is that what you've done? You realize, of course, that the only way to clear your name is to claim that your smear campaign against a JLA was also part of that alien agenda. In other words, you yourself will restore our damaged reputations. Thanks, Lex.
1: Ooh, that razzin' frazzin' no-good Superman galoot I ought to... Anyway, Uh, so all the heroes involved in this entire issue gather around Robbie Reed, who is clutching his rotary dial.
2: His rotary. What's that?
1: Green Arrow says, "Like I always say, you want to beat an alien conqueror, use an alien
2: artifact." Aquaman says, "You've never said that. Still, we never could have won with your without your dial, Robbie. You say you never learned. You never learned exactly where it came from." To which Robbie goes, "I'm afraid not. So, does that mean?" And then Adam says, "What?" That that we're going to have to take it away from you? Not a chance. From what we've heard, you've earned it.
1: Yep, found in a cave. That's the most fundamental way of earning something.
2: <laughs> Maybe we can even help you figure out how it works sometime. If you wouldn't mind teaming up with the Justice League again. To which Robbie Reed says, Really? You mean it?
1: Well, the Maxi-series is over now, so what the heck? Why not? Sure. <laughs> There's only three <laughs> pages left. Uh, Flash says... Don't see why not. Until then, your secret's safe. The world need never know that in order for the JLA to find victory, a boy named Robbie Reed had to spell it out for us.
2: Hey, it's a real a reveal for that uh, clue from the very first page.
1: Oh, yeah. Caption says, Reader, did you spot the title page clue? Check out the first letter of each caption.
2: Uh, that's the lamest cue I ever heard of. Yeah. Uh, now it spells uh, H-E-R. Oh, by the
1: way. Which really wouldn't have given away the uh ending either. We not we would have figured no. that out, but uh caption concludes and as for the Adams offer, the League and Robbie Reed did meet once more. But that's a story for another time. If you'd like to see it, write and let us know. The end.
2: Thankfully nobody wrote.
1: Nobody wrote, and nobody <laughs> wanted to see uh that come back, although we did see uh the h dial comeback many years later uh Indeed. in the dial h times, series yep. actually a few times over the years really but uh yeah that was really the main story over for the uh, silver age event in the mm-hmm. uh, the mark wade written story about the superheroes switching bodies and you know it definitely had its elements and uh maybe we'll <laughs> maybe we'll talk about those a little later on but we do have a whole chunk more comic to go and we're going to do just that right after a quick break.
0: Call the roll. 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 Of the Justice League of America.
1: Superman
0: here. Aquaman here. Wonder Woman here. Flash here. Metamorpho here. Plastic Man here. And Batman. Yeah, here Here they come, come. hey, look out, chum, it's the Justice League, the Justice League. Superheroes all, always on the ball, it's the Justice League, the Justice League. takes big trouble with a capital B, a super colossal calamity, a tremendous, stupendous catastrophe to bring them all out swinging, and when they're swinging, man, they're bringing big trouble with a capital T for any super. Enemy on earth or in space or land or sea, hey, do they put on a show anywhere the four winds blow? When they get the call, watch them go. The Justice League, yeah, the Justice League, oh, the Justice League. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our regular program to bring you a special broadcast direct from the secret sanctuary of the Justice League of America. Addressing the council at this emergency meeting is Superman.
1: Fellow members of the Justice League, the world is under attack at this very moment by the most powerful forces man has ever seen. Creatures from space, monsters from the depths of the earth, and criminals operating right within our cities And they must be destroyed before they destroy the world. Operation Lifesaver
0: is in effect as of right now. Are you ready? Yeah! Are you with it? Yeah! Okay, let's go. You know what to do. The whole world's watching and counting on you. And all you people listening out there. Everybody, everywhere. Hang on! Hang on! Hang on! The Justice League is coming! Here we come, hey look out, chum! It's the Justice League, the Justice League. Superheroes all, always on the ball. It's the Justice League, the Justice League. There's big trouble with the capital B, a super colossal calamity, a tremendous, stupendous catastrophe, and here we come out swinging. And when we're swinging, man, we're ringing. Big trouble with the capital T for any super. Earth or in space or land or sea. Hey, dude, we put on a show Anywhere the four winds blow When, when we get the call, watch us go The Justice League Yeah, the Justice League Oh, the Justice League That's the Justice
2: League Hey, everybody, welcome back. Uh, we just finished the main event for the evening, but book's not over yet we still got uh what about seven or eight hundred more stories to go (laughs) it feels Um, like that (laughs) yeah the first one is called the mad hatter's hat crimes but uh before we get to synopsizing that we're gonna introduce you to the creative team first up e nelson bridwell born 1931 and we presume that that was somewhere on the planet
1: probably yeah most likely
2: Yes, uh, Nelson credited his fame to his third-grade teacher, Ryan Samuel, for interesting him in comics. Bridwell, quote, was one of the first comics fans hired in the industry after the long, bleak 1950s. That's a quote from Margaret O'Connell, who introduced an interview with Bridwell in Comics Feature Magazine number 10, July 1981 cover date. Although his first published work consisted of a text page in Adventures into the Unknown number 9, that was February-March 1950 cover date, He had created various characters since he was still a kid Uh, They would later evolve into those he used in comics Such as the Inferior Five
1: But before that, in 1962 While still residing in Oklahoma City Bridwell submitted to the magazine of fantasy and science fiction His first idea for a feg-hoot adventure A feg-hoot is a humorous short story or vignette Ending in a pun Where the story contains sufficient context To recognize the punning humor his story was promptly accepted by the featured pseud- pseud- pseudonymous author Grendel B- Brierton, who was really Reginald Bretner, and shortly followed by yet another submission from Bridwell, which was also accepted. This was titled Dr. Jacqueline, Mr. Hyde, and Nude Rally T-Pack, respectively. Besides F and SF, both stories would appear in various Feghut an- anthologies to follow.
2: After writing a few stories for Mad And for Katie Keene Bridwell began working for DC Comics In 1965 as an editor As an assistant to editor Mort Weisinger uh, On the Superman titles Eventually becoming an editor himself On Lois Lane and later The Superman Family Jim Shooter who also worked with Weisinger You can check out Cosmic Treadmill Episode 71 in the archives For all those gory details Mm -hmm. uh, Recalls that Weisinger Did not always treat his assistant well Saying that his quote Assistant was was Nelson Bridwell And boy he tortured Nelson He was just awful to Nelson Bridwell however recalled In in 1980 an important lesson He learned from Weisinger That quote You've got to keep in mind that while there are a lot of people Who've read about the characters before There are always new people coming along And you've got to realize that you can't count on them To know the whole legend of the character
1: It's a lesson I think could be used today. Uh, now, the, this lesson set him in good stead both when Bridwell helped DC produce three anthologies. Uh, mm-hmm. These anthologies were Superman from the 30s to the 70s, Batman from the 30s to the 70s. Uh, those both came out in 1971, and then Shazam from the 40s to the 70s came out in 1977. I remember the Batman one, my friend had it, and mm-hmm. uh, very important early Batman stuff that I read.
2: One uh, of the few comics that were in the school library.
1: Yeah, it's it's like a hardback, yeah, I it like, looks like an official book uh, It also probably helped that he had an encyclopedic memory for comics history uh, As an editor, Bridwell compiled a number of issues of DC 100-page Super Spectacular Collecting out-of-print stories from the DC Archive Often under new covers featuring Bridwell-created character Key In 1976, Bridwell and Rick Estrada launched an ongoing Super Friends comic book series while the TV show was one of the best-rated shows on Saturday mornings. He co-created the Justice League members Fire and Ice and the Super Friends series and introduced the Global Guardians in DC Comics Presents number 46. That was a June 1982 cover date.
2: The first use of the Super Friends name On a DC Comics publication was in Limited Collector's Edition number C41, December 1975, January 1976 Cover date, and that reprinted stories From Justice League of America number 36 And 61, and featured a New framing sequence by Bridwell and artist Alex Toth Uh, Concurrent with his duties for DC, Bridwell Was submitting material as a freelancer To Mad Magazine Uh, Some of which was illustrated by Joe Orlando Who would later be suggested by Bridwell to be the artist on the Inferior Five Bridwell wrote for several Other DC titles including Action Comics, Adventure Comics, Shazam Superman, Superman Family World's Finest Comics And The Legion of Superheroes
1: Bridwell edited DC Comics uh, First comic book li- limited series The World of Krypton that ran from July through September 1979 Cover dates He co-wrote Secrets of the Legion of Superheroes With Paul Kupperberg and followed it With The Krypton Chronicles Nelson wrote Captain Carrot and his amazing Zoo Crew, the Oz Wonderland War Trilogy, as well as occasional stories for the black-and-white horror comics Creepy and Eerie published by Warren Publishing. His last freelance writing work was for Cracked Magazine. E. Nelson Bridwell passed away from cancer on January 23, 1987. In 2005, Bridwell was posthumously inducted into the Oklahoma Cartoonist Hall of Fame in Pauls Valley, Oklahoma, Located in the Toy and Action Figure Museum.
2: Hop across the table and meet Wayne Boring. Born uh, June 5th, 1905 in Minnesota. He attended the Minnesota School of Art and the Chicago Art Institute. In 1937, he began ghosting on such comic book features as Slam Bradley and Doctor Occult for uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. In 1938, Siegel and Schuster's character Superman was published in Action Comics No. 1 and Wayne became a ghost on the uh, soon-spun-off Superman comic strip. Uh, he would eventually become the credited artist. In
1: 1942, National Comics hired Wayne as a staff artist, teaming him as Penciler with inker Stan Kay. The two would work together for nearly 20 years. In 1948, Mort Weisinger, editor of the Superman line, brought in Wayne Boring, as well as Al Plastino and Kurt Swan. During this mid-1940s period, he often signed his work for rival novelty press Blue Bolt Comics as Jack Harmon. A more detailed origin story for Superman by Boring and writer Bill Finger was presented in Superman No. 53, July 1948 cover date to mark the character's 10th anniversary. Boring co-created The Fortress of Solitude in Action Comics number 241. June 1958 cover date with writer Jerry Coleman, and Bizarro World in Action Comics number 263 with an April 1960 cover date with Otto Binder.
2: Wayne was the primary Superman comic book penciler throughout the fifties. Uh, Kurt Swan succeeded him in the following decade, though uh, Wayne would return for sporadic guest appearances in the early sixties, and then, then again in the late in late sixty six and early sixty seven. Uh, Wayne Boring was let go from DC in nineteen sixty seven, along with other longtime artists. Uh, we get into why this happened back in uh, Weird Comics History number eleven, the uh, Who Was Arnold Drake uh, episode in the archives. Uh, from 1968 through 72, boring ghosted backgrounds for Hal Foster's Prince Valiant Sunday comic strip, and also took over the art on writer Sam, Sam, bleh, Sam Leff's 1970, 61 through 71 strip, Davy Jones.
1: Wayne drew three issues of Marvel Comics' Captain Marvel, then left the field to semi-retire as a bank security guard, though he would continue to draw commissioned work. He briefly returned to DC to pencil some stories in All-Star Squadron annual number no. 3 that was in 1984 and Superman number no. 402 with a December 1984 cover date and Action Comics number no. 561 and 572 that was November 1984 and October 1985 cover dates. He passed away of a heart attack on February 20th, 1987. His final work was for All-Star Squadron number 64, December 86 cover date, a recreation of Superman No. 19. He was posthumously inducted into the Will Eisner Hall of Fame in 2007.
2: Now onto the story The Mad Hatter's Hat Crimes was originally published In 1966 as part of a promotion By Kellogg's Pop Tarts uh, They were 16 pages uh, Five and a half inch by three inch comics Inserted into marked boxes of Pop Tarts uh, This time there were six All original Batman stories Over the years many more would be produced
1: Yeah and this is just one of those swell stories So this Mad Hatter Is taken straight from that 60's television show From the late 60's in fact the whole thing is kind of based on the uh, you know look and feel of that show. Hmm. He was played by actor David Wayne and somewhat resembled the Mad Hatter as drawn by John Tenniel in the original edition of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll, that came out 1865 by Macmillan.
2: Now uh, Jervis Tetch, the Mad Hatter, uh, leaves a yachting cap at the Gotham City Police Department to tip them off about his next crime Criminals used to do that back in the day, uh, it was a much more polite time for exactly. crime
1: Exactly, gotta give people a sporting chance, you know <laughs> uh,
2: Commissioner Gordon, Batman, and Robin deduced that he will steal the Captain's Cup at a yachting race happening that very the, day The
1: Captain? Didn't, Cupsie. Cap! Uh, uh, there you oh, go.
2: Oh, oh, and wouldn't you know it, he and a couple of well-dressed hoods do just that.
1: After some guy announces aloud that it's worth roughly $60,000, of course. Sure. So they try to get away by yacht, but Batman and Robin are quickly on the scene throwing punches. But the Mad Hatter has a trick under his tall top hat. As Batman approaches him, the Mad Hatter produces a gas gun from under the hat and fires some green gas at Batman and then gets away.
2: I sort of hoped that it would be a more, like, hat-themed escape plan, right? I know, really. Really? uh, I I guess this works in a pinch, but... That's uh,
1: fine. I mean, you got the job done, but I I thought it would throw a hat or explode a hat, something like that. You gotta
2: stay on gimmick. (laughs) Uh, Now, uh, that evening, another hat clue is dropped off at the GCPD. This time, it's the style of a derby worn by a horsewoman.
1: You mean like half woman, half horse?
2: No, 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 just like a a woman who uh, rides
1: a horse. Oh, oh, not
2: so good. A little bit less grotesque. Um, Now, uh, there just so happens to be a society horse show even later that evening. During the second event, the Mad Hatter and his gang show up to rob the crowd. Kind of less
1: elegant than the heist he pulled earlier, right? Kind less profitable, too, right? I would think so, just getting cash <laughs> in people's wallet and jewels. Uh, Robin swings in and kicks the Mad Hatter's two thugs in their faces and knocks him right from their horses. But then the Mad Hatter draws a pistol on Robin. Batman comes riding in on a black horse and jumps through a flaming hoop for some reason.
2: I think they have that ready at every derby, just in case Batman wants to show up, right? It
1: definitely makes him look a lot cooler, you know? It's It's a, so. it's a great entrance, so... Batman uses a fallen jump bar as a jousting lance and knocks the Mad Hatter off his horse. But the Mad Hatter's hat emits a strong smoke that allows them to get away.
2: Uh, there's our hat-themed escape. There it is. Batman uh, no, takes the Mad Hatter's hat back to the Batcave for examination. He finds microscopic traces of hay in the dust on the hat. And now, he knows where the Mad Hatter is.
1: Like... Any farm? I would assume right? <laughs> Any farm at all, just just hay Wherever hay is
2: No, he's in a dis- disused summer theater With Alice in Wonderland on An Alice in Wonderland set
1: uh, That would have been my second guess, yeah
2: hmm. uh, Batman and Robin comes storming in And you know, pummel the hell out of everyone
1: The end <laughs> uh, At the bottom of the page Is a house ad for two other comics In the Silver Age event, in the style of those comics And also, every page of this story has the DC logos and Silver Age 80-page uh printed across the top, also in the style of the time.
2: Mm-hmm. Our next story is called The Invaders from Space. And uh, we think that this one was probably written by Mark Wade. uh, so there's no writer credit, so we could probably skip right over to the artist.
1: Yeah, it's uh, Pete Costanza, born May 19th, 1913 in New York City. Costanza began his career at Fawcett during writer-artist C.C. Beck's initial planning and creation of Captain Marvel, later becoming Beck's chief assistant on the character. After Fawcett discontinued their line of comic books in 1953, Costanza freelanced for Gilberton's Classics Illustrated and Charlton Comics, the American Comics Group, and the standard nadar better comic book imprints of publisher Ned
2: Pines. Busy fellow In 1967 Otto Binder recommended Costanza succeeded uh, Kurt Swan As the artist on the series Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen Over the next three years until retiring Due to a stroke in 1971 Costanza remained primarily on Jimmy Olsen While occasionally contributing to Adventure Comics, Adventures of Superman And World's Finest Comics Retired after a stroke which affected his right hand, Costanza taught himself to oil paint left-handed, and he went on to produce over 400 paintings of adventure, romance, and Americana, many of which have been exhibited and sold. He would pass away on June 28, 1984 in Hackensack, New Jersey.
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm not sure how Mark Wade, who wrote this, or what. Yeah, I don't know. Where they, I, I couldn't, no could, we couldn't find out where this came from. But uh, anyway, it's uh, The Invaders from Space is a story of Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. That was a series that ran for a whopping 163 issues, cover dates September-October 1954 to March 1974. And the run was finished by Jack Kirby. Uh, this story is also labeled a Demand Classic. Per Silver Age style, the opening splash page gives away the climax of the story, so we'll just skip that for narrative's sake.
2: Certainly. Uh, One day at the Jimmy Olsen fan club, (laughs) the Jimmy Olsen fans give Jimmy Olsen a telescope for his birthday.
1: Then, presumably, they go home, see themselves in a mirror, and commit suicide.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All the members of the Jimmy Olsen fan club wear green sweaters with a red and black polka dot bow tie. Uh, Jimmy tries out the telescope and sees a fleet of spaceships headed for Earth. Uh, The ships are cigar-shaped, but have legs trailing behind that make them look sort of like insects.
1: Yeah. Uh, With Superman and Supergirl off-world on a mission, Jimmy pilots His helicopter? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a Daily Planet helicopter, but still, I'm I'm pretty impressed that he can even do that. Sure. Uh, Also, he's on his way to the Pentagon, where he's already alerted the general staff. One of the spaceships is headed right for Washington, D.C., and lands right in front of the White House. Perched on its legs, it really looks like an insect now.
2: You imagine getting calls to the Pentagon from Jimmy Olsen? That must be like a daily occurrence. Oh, like, like, look out! There's big problems. <laughs> oh, all right, hey, Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy you know. <laughs> put it in the file. Uh, now, <laughs> with a humming sound, an obelisk rises out of that craft that landed, and it shoots a beam of light from its tip. Jimmy suggests that the general call some of the U.S.'s p- potential enemies, see if they know what's happening here. Because you know our enemies would totally own up the fast directly. <laughs> it's it's like, hey, did you try to kill us all? Yeah, yeah you got us. All. <laughs> um, now we get some pretty racist caricatures of Russian, Chinese, and uh, Cuban officials. I'm not sure. Yeah. And uh, you know th- they actually did make these phone calls, and they all respond angrily in the negative.
1: Yeah, they really take it personally. You know, and I don't blame cool them. Figure, I
2: don't right? blame yeah. them
1: yeah. Uh So other spaceships land. Each extend an obelisk, and when they shoot their light beams at each other, they create a kind of web of light. Just then, Jimmy Olsen remembers the secret arsenal of advanced weapons that Superman left under control of the United Nations.
2: Yeah, that would be a smart idea. Uh, Now they appeal to the UN, who haul out some pretty silly-looking technology. We got a vibro-pulsator, and it creates a localized earthquake. A laser cannon is a cannon that uh, shoots lasers. Um, And neither of these have any effect on the UFOs.
1: Suddenly, there's a blackout. There's no power anywhere. Even Jimmy's signal watch is on the fritz. The General's about to set off neutron bombs around the alien ships <laughs> as, as a last-ditch effort, but then Jimmy's watch gives off the familiar z, z z z sound that normally only Superman can hear, but now is audible to everyone.
2: This gives Jimmy an idea. And so he calls the president, who is actually uh, Richard Milhouse Nixon, and uh, they they go to grab the UN Secretary General and meet him at Cape Canaveral. While there, they suit up in spacesuits and prepare to take off in a rocket.
1: I feel like maybe this story is like a little more fantastical than most Silver Age stories, right?
2: Yeah, you know, you, we we really never have a problem uh, suspending, uh, you know, our, our disbelief, but. Uh, You really think Nixon was outer space ready, even on his best day?
1: Those guys trained for years. You don't just throw a guy in a suit and send him up uh, like a...
2: He got got dizzy doing his March Madness uh, bracket, right? That's right. Uh, Now, (laughs) as, as the rocket takes off, Jimmy Olsen finally explains himself.
1: So wait, you mean he got the president and the U.N. secretary general to fly into space without even explaining himself?
2: <laughs> they just well, to shut know, him up.
1: Yeah, Whatever, Jimmy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now it seems that these ships uh, belong to the Vorpar. There's a race of aliens that Superman had helped out, and they swore to be peaceful. He left them a supersonic whistle to uh, to use for calling Superman, not unlike Jimmy's signal watch. And it was with this device that, that caused the feedback on the signal watch or something, something like think, that. right? I
1: don't know. Mm. I'm not sure what happened. Look, Richard Nixon's in space. I don't think the watch's function is the most important thing right now, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So these Vorpar landed on Earth and blacked out half of it to spell out peace in life for Superman to see. And he does see it back on his way back from wherever the heck he was. Uh, meanwhile, several hundred intensive care patients on life support in the affected area expire due to loss of power. That happens off-panel, though, so you don't have to worry
2: about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, we, 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 we just sweep that away. You're right. Uh, <laughs> our next story is Wonder Girl's mystery suitor. Now we know this one was written by Mark Wade. Uh, yep. We're sure of that one, and uh, we met him not too long ago. So we'll jump across the table to meet. Our
1: artist. That's right, Ty Templeton, born May, born May 9th, nineteen sixty two, in Mississauga.
2: Mississauga.
1: Mississauga, Ontario, <laughs> just outside Toronto. He's the brother of internet pioneer and entrepreneur Brad Templeton, and son of Canadian celebrities Charles Templeton and Sylvia Murphy. Uh, we assume those names are recognizable in Canada, because we don't know. We hope are. so. Yeah. Uh, in twenty ten, Templeton told the Comics Journal. My father was a sports cartoonist in the 40s and a film and novel writer in the 70s and 80s, and though he'd stopped the drawing part of his career when I was young, I was aware of his cartooning when I was a kid, and I saw examples of it growing up. He taught me some drawing lessons when I was very young, which I've delighted in passing on to my kids, and taught me quite a bit about plotting and writing as I grew into
2: an adult. Oh, the sports cartoonist, uh, Charles. Right, now right. I, oh, okay, okay. Uh, now, uh, Templeton says the first two comics he ever bought were Batman number 251, cover dated September 1973. That is The Joker's Five-Way Revenge by uh, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, which is a very convenient one to have as your first book. Mm-hmm. Well, look at the um, other one. <laughs> and we're going to continue here with Avengers number 58, November 1968 uh, cover date. Even an Android can, tr- can cry uh, by uh, Roy Thomas and John Buscema, another very Convenient first yeah, comic
1: two comics Two classic comics just a mere five years Apart whatever you say we believe it
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> Now his first work Was for the anthology title Vortex Comics which was Published by the independent Canadian Publisher of the very same name Ty says When I was in my late teens early 20s I was going to the Ontario College of Art In Toronto Canada Learning to do commercial storyboards and magazine Layout comps all while playing guitar And singing with a couple of different local Bands I went up the street the very next day and showed off some of my artwork to the editor, figuring it would be fun and there might be some money in it. The editor asked if I'd like to do a story in an upcoming issue for something like 50 bucks a page, script and art. Not bad, as this was was 80s dollars. After my first story, Cheap Thrills, I did something called Killing Dragons and another couple of short two- and three-page filler stories. And then I got offered my own title. It was a fairly quick ride, maybe six months from the first story to being offered my own title.
1: He was also an editor at Vortex for a short time, but more as a matter of convenience, I think. Hmm. Uh, Ty Templeton began his career proper in 1984 with the series Stig's Inferno. That comic ran for eight issues through Vortex and Eclipse Comics. And you can read the whole thing for free at templetons.com. Which actually is about his whole family Hmm. Templeton has drawn titles for Marvel Comics, DC Comics, Bongo Comics, and Moonstone Books As part of DC Comics' How to Draw line of books Templeton did How to Draw Batman and How to Draw Superman in 1998 He also created his own graphic novel, Big Time, published by Vertigo in 2003
2: Templeton was recently made editor of an independent Canadian comic company called Mr. Comics, which published a title called Hoverboy, the Republican Superhero. Okay. Um, Other work includes drawing some of the final issue of American Splendor and writing and drawing stories for DC's Batman 66. He teaches classes in comic book writing and drawing, which is known as Ty Templeton's Comic Book Boot Camp. And he lives in Ontario, Canada.
1: So, on to the story, Wonder Girl's Mystery Suitor. It's presented as a Wonder Woman story, a tale of her uh, life as a young girl. But we're going to call her Wonder Girl, because that's how we know her best. Uh, It's also noted as an imaginary story. Now, for several years, from the late 1950s to the mid-1980s, particularly during the 1960s, a silver age of comic books, DC Comics published various stories about their title characters which did not take place in their regular continuity. Most of these stories were labeled imaginary stories and featured alternate histories of characters. Though, the, Although the majority of the imaginary stories were published in various Superman comics, a few imaginary stories appeared in Batman comics and other DC titles. The Crisis on Infinite Earth the compendium, reclassified many, but not all, of these stories has taken place on other Earths, and we go over all the ones that were included in in the infinite Earths in episode twenty-two of Weird Comics History in our
2: archives. You can hear all about the times that Lois Lane married Superman. There's a lot of them,
1: or there's or, a ton of them. Sometimes <laughs> married Lex Luthor, you never know. I'll sometimes that's things, true. Yeah.
2: And I think she married Batman a time or two. Well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now the opening splash page again gives away the climax of the story, so we will move right along. In the story here, one day, young Wonder Woman, who, again, we're going to be calling Wonder Girl, is deflecting lightning off of her bracelets to the delight of her mother, Queen Hippolyta. The twist here is that Hippolyta's hair is blonde, according to a caption.
1: I mean, is that a big twist? I didn't, I mean, I know she's usually brunette, but I didn't think it was that weird, but.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Then the goddess Aphrodite appears in the clouds and tells Wonder Girl she's wasting her time on frivolity. Hippolyta suggests that Wonder Girl heed Aphrodite. And she orders Wonder Girl to find a suitor by the day's end, or lose the powers Aphrodite has given her.
2: Maybe the blonde hair is what makes an imaginary story.
1: Oh, I see. Oh, that's gotta be it.
2: Now, now, out of the water jumps a merman named Merboy. He grabs Wonder Girl by the waist and invites her to that evening's Merman pageant. Merboy, whose real name is Rano, first appeared in Wonder Woman number 107. That's July 1959 cover date by Robert Kanagar and Ross Andrew. He was one of Wonder Girl's potential suitors.
1: Then a kid with wings and eagle's legs swoops in to grab Wonder Girl from Merboy's grasp. It is, you guessed it, Bird Boy. Real name, Wingo, which may not be better than uh, Bird Boy (laughs) He first appeared in Wonder Woman number 144, February uh, 1964, cover date, by Kaniger and Andrew And he was also a love interest for Wonder Girl, though later in the series, he and Merboy would get along as friends
2: Then from the shore comes the voice of a new character, Centaur Boy I mean, do we really need to describe this one? It's a centaur. That's it. Yeah. Uh, now Wonder Girl's really taken with Centaur Boy because he's he's pretty ripped. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mer Boy and Bird Boy take off. knowing they know when they're licked. Um, now Wonder Girl and Centaur Boy uh, wander off to get to know each other
1: better. Hey, get your minds out of the gutter, folks. It's all on the up and up. Mm-mm. So first, Wonder Girl shows Centaur Boy how she can jump over a tree. Then he shows her how he can jump over a rainbow.
2: Anything you can do, I can know yeah. uh, Wonder Girl displays how she can deflect Boulders from a rock slide off of her Bracelets, but Centaur Boy uses his hooves to create a Deep chasm uh,
1: Wonder Girl's put off by Centaur Boy's Arrogance, but I mean, she's the one that Showed off in the first place, I don't really understand You know, like, yeah. you were you were trying to best Him and he showed you up yeah, anyway. Check me
2: out, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: So uh, later, they have a picnic and more of Centaur Boy's boasting As the sun goes down and Centaur Boy leans in for a kiss, Wonder Girl has second thoughts. She breaks free of Centaur Boy's embrace and ensnares him with her magic lasso.
2: Now we're getting right to the dessert, huh? (laughs) Uh, Centaur Boy admits that he is but a construct of Aphrodite's part of her test.
1: To test whether she would follow through on a goddess's decree despite not wanting to?
2: And gods and goddesses are messed up, man. They really are. (laughs) Uh, With that solved, Centaur Boy disappears, leaving Wonder Girl to ponder whether she might date Murboy or Bird Boy.
1: I say date Bird Boy, he can take you more places. I mean, you know the earth is three quarters water, but it's all you gotta be in the water to hang out with Murboy.
2: I don't think she can breathe under it, can she? I don't don't believe so. I don't believe so. Now we move on to our final story. Which is the life story of Super Turtle? It's by Ty Templeton, and uh, we know him already, so we're gonna go it, right on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now we have a one—it's pa- a one-page comic, and it's the origin of Super Turtle, which is essentially the origin of Superman if he were a turtle.
1: That's right. Uh, <laughs> it was on the planet Galapagon that scientist Aye. L addressed the Aye. council and warned that the planet would explode. They agreed and planned to commission thousands of ships, but ten years later they'd only completed one because turtles are very slow. You see? You get it? Uh, yeah, you see? My... You're getting in now? You understand?
2: Uh, Alright. Uh. Now as the planet Galapagon <laughs> explodes, the rocket takes off with Shell's son, Turtle. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and it lands on Earth, on a farm run by an elderly couple. Finding that they can't break his shell in order to make turtle soup, they decide to Raise the turtle as a son okay. Uh, okay Their upbringing gives him a sense of good So that he becomes the heroic super turtle Later on in life And I guess he guards Metropolis or mm-hmm. some city
1: Some turtle version of it maybe You know what I mean, I mean is center, I'm not sure mm-hmm. uh, The final panel punchline teases the next tale Which we'll never see But it's the lady friend success- suspects and Super Turtle's riding the subway with a woman Wearing a suit and glasses In the style of Clark Kent uh, Akin to Superman uh, The woman says that without his glasses His scaly bald head makes him look like Super Turtle And Super Turtle acts shocked But then thinks, must get to pay But a boom.
2: Now Super Turtle, the amphibian of action Was created by Henry Boltonoff And would first appear in Adventure Comics Number 304 That's January uh, 1963 cover date Besides being editor, Murray Boltonoff's brother, Henry also drew the Caps Hobby hint strip that ran in DC Comics in the late 60s through the 70s. And it's uh, also might be part of the reason why Mark Wade was relieved of his editorial duties in the late 80s we
1: have heard uh, yes
2: yeah. <laughs> now, uh, and that also had something to do with Ty Templeton uh, this character ran as a one pa- as one-page parodies of Superman during the Silver Age uh, so this strip isn't an ironic postmodern send-up at all this is
1: it actually is, this like, is actually legit yeah this is like how the comic would would sort of be <laughs> <laughs> which I think is kind of hilarious so That concludes not only the 80-page giant issue of the Silver Age, but the entire event from 2000 known as Silver Age. But that leaves one question, Chris.
0: Hmm.
1: What is the Silver Age, anyway? What are we talking about? (laughs) So, uh, the popularity of superheroes began to wane following World War II for a variety of reasons, including uh, the coming of age of the first generation of comic book fans, uh, superheroes were looked at as relics of their childhood they were growing up. Plus, a lot of them had come back from a pretty gory war. Uh, DC comics shifted away from superheroes and instead focused on such genres as war, westerns, romance, crime, and horror.
2: Books such as Star Spangled comics were retitled as Star Spangled War Stories, dropping heroes in favor of, well, war stories. Oh, yeah. Uh, more fun comics also dropped heroes and focused more on humor. All Star Comics became All Star Western, much to the dismay of a young Roy Thomas.
1: Yeah, he had a subscription, and when they switched, they didn't—they didn't inform him that his comic had become a Western. Yes, comic uh, in the interim. Uh, There was also that little thing about the Senate Subcommittee hearing on juvenile delinquency Over three days in 1954 Oh yeah uh, Sometimes (laughs) we can bump up against that So uh, you can hear all about that if you check out Our five part nearly eight hour long series On the formation and legacy of the Comics Code Authority Available in our archives and even as a box set At weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com And also as a playlist on our YouTube channel So a lot of ways Mm. you can check it out However, superheroes, they don't stay down forever So in 1956 comes
2: Showcase, number 4, October 1956 cover date Uh, Specifically in the story, Mystery of the Human Thunderbolt By Robert Kaniger and Carmine Infantino this was the first appearance of the new Flash, portrayed by forensic scientist Barry Allen. Instead of inhaling hard water vapors overnight, how the original Flash gained his powers, Barry Allen was instead bathed in a mix of chemicals stored hastily on a bookshelf that was hit by a bolt of lightning.
1: Yeah, both of these rate about a zero on the believability scale. That's really...
2: <laughs> <laughs> Barry Allen actually takes his name from the Golden Age Flash, whose adventures that he'd read in comic books. This would get complicated and Flash number one hundred twenty-three, September nineteen sixty-one cover date by Gardner Fox and Carmine Infantino. This is the Flash of two worlds when Barry Allen would meet the Golden Age Flash, but that's a whole nother thing. That uh, we 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 did another five-part series. We on.
1: did do, we did kind of do a series <laughs> on that too. The uh, yeah, you're talking about the Crisis one, right? But uh,
2: mm-hmm. fifty through fifty-four in the archives. That
1: that is really another ball of wax here. But uh, possibly though, it's arguable that the. The uh, Silver Age really began with the first appearance of Martian Manhunter in Detective Comics number 225. That was a few years earlier, cover date November 1955. The story was The Strange Experiment by Dr. Ertl, and Joseph, uh, written by Joseph Samishon and written, drawn by Joe Serta. It's arguable because John was not a reimagining of a Golden Age hero. He's brand new and was also in a backup, although that. Would be less of a sticking point for me, but Mm. you know uh, A Martian lead would fit Right into the science fiction gestalt of 1950s entertainment, so Definitely a debate you can have with your friends, but these Stories, as well as the ones Immediately to follow, like
2: so like showcase number 22 This is September-October 1959 Cover date by John Broom and Gil Kane This is the emergence of The Silver Age Green Lantern This was test pilot Hal Jordan Bestowed his powering by a dying Alien instead of acquiring a Magic-infused railroad lantern As with the Golden Age Green Lantern This Green Lantern would also find Himself a member of an intergalactic Police force spawning a myriad of Stories amounting to several Dense
1: space operas That's going on to the present day, and I mean, we could go down the line, uh, you know, Hawkman got a new origin from being you know, ancient pharaoh whatever, to a intergalactic cop, and Adam became an actual guy that shrinks, but you know, we, we could really pick it apart, and we didn't And we're not going to But no. these would all cast superheroes as products of science Rather than something caused by magic Or godly intervention or something like that There are golden age superheroes Born of science, for, like Captain America For instance, got his powers from a super serum But in the Silver Age These scientific origins and developments Would be explained empirically With very mixed results
0: <laughs> Yeah <laughs>
2: Now, one example of the changing world around us here. In 1957, the USSR launched Sputnik 1. This is the first ever successfully launched artificial satellite. As it passed over the United States of America, citizens were, as you might imagine, terrified. This was, of course, the peak of the Cold War, after all. Economist Bernard Baruch... Baruch? Yeah. He wrote in an open letter Titled The Lessons of Defeat To the New York Herald Tribune In it he says While we devote our industrial and technological power To producing new model automobiles And more gadgets The Soviet Union is conquering space He continues It is Russia, not the United States Who has had the imagination to hitch its wagon to the stars And the skill to reach for the moon And all but grasp it America is worried It should be
1: And then on April 12, 1961, the USSR surprised the world again by launching Yuri Gagarin into single orbit around the Earth in a craft they called Vostok 1. America's scientific community, which had long been pushing for a new direction in science education, seized on the national mood to rejuvenate the curriculum. The effort was spearheaded by notable scientists such as the late David Hawkins an assistant to A-bomb designer J. Robert Oppenheimer.
2: In a special message to Congress on urgent national needs, May 25, 1961, President John F. Kennedy suggested that the U.S. dedicate resources to space exploration, which became known as the Apollo Space Program. He rallied popular support for the program in his, quote, We Choose to Go to the Moon speech on uh, September 12, 1962, before a large crowd at Rice University Stadium in Houston, Texas. And here is where he suggested that the U.S. should land a man on the moon By the end of the decade, and the space race would begin
1: In earnest, yeah, from that point uh, Comics reflected this interest in outer space immediately Just a couple of quick examples Marvel's Fantastic Four number 1 with a November 1961 cover date by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby This is the comic that of course kicked off the Marvel age of comics it Was about four people transformed by cosmic rays during a brief space flight
2: over at DC Comics, we have The Metal Men, who debuted in Showcase number 37, March-April 1962 cover date by Robert Kaniger and Ross Andrew. This was about a team of emotional robots created by a genius inventor, who for once was not an evil scientist. Now, the hallmarks of the Silver Age include stories grounded in a loose understanding of science, leading to some very silly situations.
1: Yeah, my favorite one is always the the Flash's <laughs> costume and the way it's described in, the, in the, especially early on. You know, it's, mm. it's kept compressed in the ring and it pops open and expands on contact with air. And all the early descriptions were always like just like the expendable life rafts for the army. Uses, <laughs>
0: some, some phrase
1: like that. The, the, the caption always says something like that, but it's like, yeah, expendable life raft, right, they don't work that way. They actually, they don't actually get bigger, they inflate. You know what I mean? It's not like they don't add mass to them. Uh, it's kind of like, I don't think Schwartz was really understanding it. I did, and I, I really, you know, Chris, we read so much comic stuff that I, I sure. forget sometimes where I read it. So I read mm-hmm. something really recently where Kaniger in an interview said that he stole that idea from an 1830s pulp character, but I couldn't find the character, nor could I find the uh, interview anymore. So take that with a great assault.
2: And like some of the the Hallmark, uh, I came up, you know, a Marvel guy. So all of of my favorite heroes were like just doomed with like a deathly, (laughs) something that would kill them, but it gave them powers instead. You know, you have the Hulk being hit by a gamma bomb and he's, not dead, but he has powers. And Spider-Man being, or Peter Parker being, bit by a spider and becoming, you know, Spider-Man. It's a, it's it's all those things where, uh, you know, you you, you want to like throw yourself in the microwave afterwards to see what you come out with. Yeah, it was, and, it's uh, all,
1: it's almost all freak accidents of science. You yes. Know? And it's it's not a freak accident of nature or anything. Yeah, it's like it's it's because we were doing all this experimentation and research and uh you know peter parker got in the way basically that was <laughs> i'd i'd like to know what that program was for whether whether there was like a super army of of spiders that they sent out to uh <laughs> do some uh, work in the world but uh i love this stuff i got you know silver sure. age comics or something i really have a good time with we were talking about the world's finest silver age recently like they're terrible <laughs> folks don't get me wrong but they're 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 great in that in that the charm ter- the charm is exactly the right word mm-hmm. for it Uh, So of course There are other folks involved in this crossover
2: Indeed Let's uh, lead you to them right now Uh, We will be including links Direct links to their shows uh, In in the uh, blog post but we'll get to that in a bit Uh, The rest of the team we want to thank here We have Justice's First Dawn Relatively Geeky Presents Coffee and Comics Podcast
1: You got Batgirl to Oracle Supermates The Idol Head of Diablo Longbox Crusade
2: the Fire and Water Podcast, The Lantern Cast, Comics Reflect, Comic Reflections, and the folks that put this all together, Waiting for Doom.
1: Yeah, thanks guys for including us. We had a good time uh, going mm-hmm. through the issue and bopping around listening to some of your podcasts. So certainly, uh, we definitely encourage everyone to go check out the whole run, and then it'll be almost like you read this entire series yourself. And once you're done doing that, we want you to head on over and write to us about this event or about the Silver Age or anything that's on your beautiful minds at <laughs> History at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cosmic history
2: tumble us on tumblr at cosmic
1: we're on twitter at cosmic t and I'm on twitter at reggie reggie
2: I'm at Ace Comics.
1: Go over to WeirdScienceDCComics.com to see our weekly writings about DC Comics, and then go to Chris's personal blog, ChrisIsOnThinnerEarths.com, where he reviews a different DC comic every single day of the week for many, many, many consecutive days and weeks (laughs) running now, months and years now. Uh, This whole month, while you... Well, we had JL May on the podcast. You had Brightest May on the blog. Yes. So it's just been, you know, nonstop events, although this is just... Very somatic. Somatic yes. is the way to put it, because this, <laughs> this, this event was has become more of an albatross for you, but you are, I think, committed <laughs> to uh, concluding. No, it's. I'll tell you, I think we mentioned it last two weeks running, but uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with the Brightest May, or maybe if you're like me, you read it after the fact and said, that was not a fun thing. <laughs> you, you gotta you gotta go check out uh, Chris's breakdown, especially in this last week uh, or so, right? Where you really start yeah. to see where it, it takes a turn. Uh, he's uncovered some interesting theories that I, I think folks might be interested in checking it out. So go over there. Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com right now, doing brightest May until I don't know. You're done.
2: And then the next few days until until June. Okay. Then we'll then we'll do the June fifty two. Okay. No, no, we won't. I hope not. <laughs> you can check out the show site weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com, where we keep all our show notes. They will also, like we mentioned, be links to all of the other participants of JL May right there for you. Um, you can find us on YouTube if. You search weird comics history as all one word, because uh, I think we, I think we still have like twenty something subscribers, so we're just a little shy of that
1: thousand. Yeah, that nine eighty more will be good. So yeah, okay. uh, <laughs> just keep on subscribing, <laughs> folks. Uh, yeah, and over there again, you can hear like the comics code uh, episodes and Certainly. a bunch of. We don't have everything up, but we have a lot. Comics a, stuff. lot of a lot. A lot is up. Yeah. Um, I want to thank again all the other folks involved In the JLMA thing uh, We had a good time and hope that made your May brighter But mm-hmm. I think that's all we got For him this week, Chris Got anything else for him?
2: No, I think that'll do it
1: Well, in that case, folks, I want you to keep it on the treadmill Heroically
0: See you. Golden haze Another morning feels like yesterday end of May now you're gone and there's still bills to pay And you know it doesn't help to make believe You're sitting next to me, it doesn't help To make believe that you are right behind me saying. Days, more time to sit and watch the pendulum sway in a quiet rage. Staring at this empty notebook page. Times like these, you feel like you are done with feeling. You feel you wanna stop